Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Thursday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy, the host of the show. Today I've got Brooks Childress and in a few minutes T.P. Hammock with me as we talk all things football on this Thursday edition of the program. We'll talk some Auburn-Texas A&M, also start to look ahead to some of the other college football games this weekend, as well as some NFL as the NFL Week 3 gets going tonight. So we'll talk a little bit about that game and about the upcoming NFL schedule for the weekend. We'll also have Brian Matthews on at 5 o'clock. Brian will... Again, talk more Auburn-Texas A&M with us and uh, continue to break things down of how this Auburn team has performed compared to his expectations through three games and what they'll need to do on Saturday to beat Texas A&M. Of course, throughout the program, we're going to love to hear from you. 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9 and give us a call on the orthopedic clinic phone line again ryan and brooks for the moment tp joining us in just a few minutes brooks how are you this afternoon i am doing great it's another great day here in auburn and a great day uh around the state really i don't know if there's a lot of uh a lot of rain around the 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 state of alabama and so um you know it's it's a great day we're getting close to college football we got a game tonight featuring two sunbelt teams uh which is always great that we've got college football um, we had a great showing at the high school coaches show last night, uh, talked a lot of, uh, great high school, local high school football, a big game tonight, about all probably 14 over in Notasolga between Lochipoca and Notasolga. Uh, and that's tonight and got some great high school football action tomorrow night. So can't wait for all that. Um, hopefully the Braves can right the ship a little bit on, on the road in, in the nation's capital this weekend with four games against the nationals uh, to wrap up their road portion of their schedule, uh, for the regular season. And so just a lot of stuff going Going on, NFL comes back tonight. Can't wait for uh, can't wait to watch the San Francisco 49ers. I don't know how many people say I can't wait to watch the Giants. So that's why I didn't say it. Um, but it's a it's a it, it's a good slate of, uh, of of sports around the around the sphere to talk about and uh, break down, especially going into a big weekend of college football. Probably our first huge weekend yeah. of college football oh, yeah. this year. Uh, we we've had a couple appetizer weekends, uh, but this is uh, we we're starting to get some some big time games now, and so can't wait to talk about all that and of course i don't think i need to say it at this point but can't wait to talk to all of our callers yeah there's something in really every power conference that matters uh, this weekend the big 12 would be the one where you'd be stretching a little bit to find it uh kansas state playing ucf would probably be the biggest one there uh teams that kansas state still absolutely has a chance to end up in the big 12 title game although 
They suffered a big setback playing an SEC team in Missouri last weekend, and then UCF figuring to be the best of the new arrivals to the conference, uh, but they without their starting quarterback, John Rice Palmley. So, again, maybe you could take the Big 12 out of that equation, but certainly the other four Power 5 leagues having a significant game or two uh, to talk about this coming weekend. So, uh, definitely going to be starting to preview some of that today. We start, as always, though, with some Auburn stuff with Auburn and Texas A&M. Yesterday, Brooks looked a little bit uh, at the Texas A&M side of things just from the standpoint of how important this is to them, how off the tracks their program has been in the last 15 games or so dating back to last season, and the weird oddities in play when you factor in the talent level that they possess with the results they have lacked. So from the Auburn side of things, this begins a stretch where I would say four of the five toughest games on the schedule are the next four. Mm. I would I would say that even with A&M being in some limbo, I would still put them above Arkansas. I would certainly put them above Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. So four of the five toughest games on Auburn's schedule when you factor in A&M, Georgia, LSU, and then Ole Miss – uh, this is the stretch. This is I know it's a little early in the season, so it's maybe not a perfect analogy. This is the amen corner of Auburn's schedule coming up right now where if Auburn somehow went 2-2 two and two in this four-game stretch, then you would be a nice pat on the back. You're destined for a really quality year one, maybe even above some expectations year one unless you – have some sort of slip up against State or Arkansas, that sort of thing. Um, but even the seven-win projections, of which I think almost all of us on the show gave, allow for this to be a one-and-three stretch, if not even a way back to where you could say 0-4. Oh, you could say Auburn, in theory, could lose four in a row, then win four in a row against, again, Mississippi State, at Arkansas, at Vandy, New Mexico State – and then we'll see what happens in the Iron Bowl. But it, it literally could play out that you could go L4 and then W4 in a row. May not. Uh, it, it never really goes according to plan in college football. But, again, this is the – for a lot of reasons, obviously, because this is the first SEC game, but also this is the first game of that stretch, maybe the most winnable game of that stretch. And uh, there's going to be a lot to learn and a lot that uh, could – end up being either issues that we'll have to monitor the rest of the year or strengths that we get confirmed that will always be something that other teams will have to worry about when playing Auburn the rest of the year. Yeah, I think this is the first, this at least this weekend, is the first game that Auburn's going up against an opponent this year that the the quality of players on the other side outmatches Auburn. You, you know, Obviously, UMass and Sanford Auburn had better players then. Uh, you, you know, you can make the argument that Cal's, uh, after the past few seasons of recruiting, that Cal was kind of close, but you still would put Auburn's players above Cal's play, caliber of players. Um, but this is the first year, or the first game uh, of the Hugh Freeze era that the, the Auburn players are not on the same, or have not been recruited on the same level as these Texas A&M players. Uh, and, you know, we, we've talked about their struggles over the past couple seasons. Uh that yeah, they have recruited very well, but they haven't done a lot with them. And, you know, it, it it feels you know you 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 know we talked in, at SEC Media Days with a couple of people, and they were uh, talked about the te- this Texas A&M team, uh, how Jimbo Fisher talked about it last year. How hey, you know, this is going to be a quality you know position group next year, and this is going to be you know such so next year. Well, this is that next year. 
Uh, and, you know, they're coming into it 2-1 and one right now uh, into this one. That loss at Miami, uh, Miami is still a team that we, you know, we, we think is going to be a, a decent team, but we don't, you know, fully know what they're what, what they look like until they get into conference play and they play some of the bigger teams in the ACC. Um, but... Yeah, this is this is a big one, and you know, like you said, these next four are, is is really big for for Auburn, for the football team, um, but especially this one because, as you mentioned, this could be the most winnable of it. Uh, you know, it, it it depends on how you get that Ole Miss, how Ole Miss plays out here these next few games, especially because you get them at home. That could also turn into a, a somewhat winnable game for Auburn. But um, you know, you, you look at this team, you look at this Texas A&M team. Um, I think there's, you know, you you think you you look at them and you say, I, I think they're better. But I'm not 100% sure. I don't know if they're better than last year or not. Um, I think Connor Wegman looks a little bit better than he did last year, but we're still not sure. Uh, it's it, there's a, there's a lot of question there's a lot of question marks around this Auburn team, um, especially you know you saw them in the two games in the in the UMass game in the Samford game they looked you know good they looked cohesive it looked it looked good and that Cal game everyone kind of left that game scratching their heads you got the win but you were still scratching your heads like what what did we see out there we saw a good defense but what what did we see offensively um, and I, I think that's what you you've also seen from Texas A&M is you've seen two games where they've played really well in, in lower caliber opponents and then you went to that Miami game and you were kind of scratching your head after that. You're like, what? What did we just see here? It it didn't look awful, but like it it was they they kind of dominated us. And so this is it, it's really important, uh, and it's it's especially really important to get off if you're Auburn to go down there and get off to a fast start and kind of you know kind of push this Texas A&M team uh, because you know you saw Miami get off to a pretty fast start against them uh, two weeks ago and it, it paid dividends for those that Hurricanes team and so if you can get off to a fast start uh, on, on the offensive side of the ball and then you know have a couple early defensive stops you can start you know putting together something that looks like a, it looks like it could be a win on Saturday. Again, A&M's recruiting classes, it's not just about the 2022 season that they had the number one class and had that really special class of which they've already bled about half the players off of. Uh, It's, again, even dating back to 2019. 2019's uh, recruiting cycle for Texas A&M, it ended up fourth in the country. 2020, they were sixth in the country. Uh, and 2021, they were eighth, and then 2022 was the first. Now, last year was when it finally took a dive, and reasonably so after they have the year that they had that year, they were 15th in recruiting. But that does mean that under uh, none of those years, none of those years, Auburn out-recruited A&M. The year it was closest was 2020, of course, last full cycle for Malzahn, and Auburn was seventh in the country in recruiting that year. And I told you again that A&M was sixth. So Auburn was nipping on the heels of that A&M class. But A&M out-recruited Auburn all that time. That was the Tank Bigsby class, by the way. If you were Auburn, you had uh, Wesley Steiner, Kobe Hudson, Xavion Capers, uh, Jay Hardy. Those were some of the – Zykevius Walker. Those were some of the highest-rated players on that uh, recruiting cycle. And so if you're A&M, you have been recruiting, again, top eight – for four consecutive years there, and it's culminating. These this, those se- those twenty nineteen kids would be uh, seniors this year or, or fifth year players, and twenty twenty guys would be very uh, very much veterans by this time. Uh, and yet they are nowhere near the top six, top eight, top four of the country. Again, it's been incredibly lean compared to what their recruiting rankings should show. 
Uh, and will and even again in, in years where they like in 2021 when they had a little lesser of a class, like I just said, they were they were eighth that year. They still had a five star, and he's played out as really one of their best, if not their best, defensive players so far this year. Shamar Turner, that's the name you're going to hear a lot. The defensive lineman has already got a couple sacks in the year. We'll talk about his prowess as we preview uh, some of the individual matchups. But again, they ha- they have come into this season uh, having beaten Auburn recruiting all these years. And so that's why it's like on a piece of paper, you expect A&M to be a certain way. But when Auburn beats A&M last year, even in Auburn's horrible 2022, it's the highlight of the year last year inside of Jordan-Hare, you, then you know it's an opportunity. It, it's not played out on paper. And you know that uh, there's an opportunity to, to parlay the, the game against A&M last year into something this year. Of course, the teams are very different in how they function. And even for Texas A&M, because of Bobby Petrino, and something I have not deemed a problem for them in the first few games is uh, is offense, whereas last year it was very problematic, and they had a lot of low-scoring games. They beat Miami last year in a very low-scoring game. This year they lost to them in a high-scoring game. Of course, they, you know, they had some turnovers, so that was a negative of their offense, and they did have – uh, a couple of short fields to work with, but nevertheless, I thought the offense was very competent in that game overall. Uh, so while the offense is improving, I just told you about some defensive talent, but the defense giving up 48 points against Miami is a no. Uh, it's an yeah. absolute no. They did have a couple of solid, as they should, performances against New Mexico and ULM. There wasn't a lot of negative takeaway from those games, but. Uh, again, those matchups are going to be really interesting, and we're going to get into some of them a little bit later in the show. But for now, we're going to take our first time out of the program today. When we come back, we'll go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line for the first time. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Don't want to call into the show? Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. Let's get back to sports call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Welcome back to Sports Call Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress and now T.P. Hammock with us here on this Thursday edition of the program. T.P., hope you're doing well today, sir. I'm doing very well on this Thursday. Got some Thursday night football, both for the NFL and college. Uh, the NFL game being the Giants versus the 49ers. I believe the 49ers are going to cruise to a victory there. And the college game is uh, some Sunbelt action, I heard Brooks say. I uh, can't remember who it was. I think Georgia State and Coastal. I could be wrong. But, yeah, I'm looking forward. I'm going to be flipping back and forth between those. But can't wait to hear from our callers today, though. And so let's get to our callers now on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally 
or toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine. First up today, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you this afternoon? I'm good in War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, I know that y'all were talking about Thursday night football, and I'm actually going to be watching that as well because I have the San Francisco 49ers actually winning that game at home, and I think the San Francisco 49ers, I think they're going to look like a Super Bowl contender to me as well. Yeah, I certainly agree. I think the 49ers are going to be one of the teams that are going to be there towards the end of the year. I think so far we've seen a pretty good version of Brock Purdy, which has got to ease the minds of some 49ers fans that were doubting his health. So so, so far, so good on that front. And uh, the Giants are, uh, I just think they're a little banged up and, and honestly just not as good as San Francisco. So I think San Francisco will win tonight. Yes, as well, because I did pick San Francisco to actually win this game tonight as well. And then I'm actually watching the Sunbelt uh, rematch from last year from the Camellia Bowls. So I'm watching these two teams again and actually seeing these two teams again actually making it to the Camellia Bowl this year. But if one of these teams might make it this year, I think it might be Coastal Carolina. And I really did see them last year play in Montgomery, and they really had a really good uh, year. And I think they might make it back to Montgomery as well. Yeah, I know Coastal Carolina with Grayson McCall still there. They still have high expectations, and the Sun Belt is one of the best Sun Belt teams. And it's just good to have football on many nights of the week at this point in the season. Yes, as well, because, I mean, with Thursday night football and um, Thursday night uh, college football, I mean, it, it's really a really good thing to actually get a little bit of uh a little bit of sports in before the actual sports actually starts on uh, the weekend as well. Yeah, before the uh, some of the bigger stuff happens. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, there will be a lot of big matchups this weekend, so we're looking forward to it. Yes, as well, because I would be watching Auburn and Texas A&M and uh, seeing what Peyton Thornton is actually going to do. I've been uh, reading a lot on, um, you know, on these different um, – you know, networks I actually have um, reading a lot of different things on Peyton Peyton Thornton and seeing what he's going to do for Texas A&M and uh, reading some of the comments. And I think this will be a good team that Auburn is going to take out as well. Yeah, again, that is a team that Auburn was able to beat last year. Obviously, things change, but Auburn has had success in College Station over the the course of A&M being in the SEC. So they've not been intimidated by that environment in the past. It's 11 a.m., which is also conducive to road success. Auburn's 7-3 and in their last 10 road 11 a.m. games in the SEC. And so I, Auburn's absolutely, I expect them to be in this game, and, and we'll see if they can pull it out. Yes, because we do have three wins under our belt, so this will make four wins. Actually, so we'll be 4-0 if we can um, throw the kitchen sink to Texas A&M. And I think with a lot of um, a lot of different reactions I had uh, heard over the over the last past couple, the last week when we played against Sanford, I was just trying to see if we were going to actually make a make a um, a run at Sanford at home, and I think that was one of the best homecoming games I've ever heard in a long, long time as well. Yeah, Auburn usually schedules uh, somebody. 
uh, from the either FCS level or Group of Five level if they can for homecoming. So usually Auburn has a lot of success, and, and that was no different against Sanford. Yes, as well. And then I'm going to be watching Georgia. Um, Georgia is actually playing UAB. This will be an easy road uh, loss for UAB Blazers because I think they did come off of a loss last week or the week before last. I think they lost their their first two games of the season. I have to look at their schedule as well. Um, you know, because a lot of people up there in Birmingham, they're saying that they're uh, they're not looking like the the uh, Birmingham Blazers that they used to have um, last few seasons ago. But I'm thinking this will be in favor of Georgia. So Georgia would uh, take um, you know they will actually um, put water out on the on the Blazers as well. So they're going to put the fire out for. Uh, UAB as well. Yeah, I see what you did there, and uh, I, you know, I like UAB, James, and I, I have to agree. If UAB's not beating Georgia Southern, they're not coming anywhere close to Georgia. So I think Georgia is going to uh, manhandle UAB on national TV, and uh, it's okay because then the Blazers will get manhandled on national TV by Tulane the next week. And uh, yeah, it's it's looking like a bad year for UAB. Yes, as well because I'm. Um, I, I just feel like UAB, they're really good. They have a great program. And, uh, you know, it's, um, I haven't been to a UAB Blazers game, but I would, uh, go sometime real soon and actually, uh, get, get a chance to see how the Blazers are, uh, this year as well. Yeah. I know they still got several home games coming up. I think their next one's against South Florida here, uh, in the, uh, the month of October, first week of October. So, See if that starts to go better for UAB. What else is on your mind today? Well, I'm actually going to be uh, looking at the uh, the WNBA playoffs and uh, seeing how uh, Sabrina Unescu is actually going to be doing on Sunday. And um, I think this is not going to be her tough task of playing against uh, Connecticut because I did see the Connecticut Sun um, win a, a big, big game um, last night. And uh, one of our uh, former Auburn Tigers, Dewana Bonner, has just put herself into the WNBA um, Finals uh, MVP list, and she's a um, she's going to be inducted into the uh, Connecticut Suns Ring of Honor as well. So she's one of the greatest players that uh, Connecticut has ever seen in her time at Connecticut as well. Yeah, I mean, Dewana Bonner's been been awesome. And, again, she was playing last night and uh, was uh, on the TVs there at the Enzo Bar and Grill where we have the high school coaches show. And, uh, yeah, no, I think that uh, she's been obviously an awesome WNBA player and see if she can make a deep run in the WNBA playoffs. Yes, as well, because I was uh, looking at this uh, game and, uh, you know, I was actually looking at the stats from last week and the week before last on their schedule, and I was just trying to figure out what who I wanted to pick for this game for Sunday. I wanted to pick uh, the New York Liberty, but I said I'm going to just give them another – I'm not going to give them another shot because I already know Sabrina Unescu. I know she's a great player, but I'm going to just – probably give it to another team as well so i'm just going to pick with uh connecticut and seeing how dewana bonner is actually going to look uh on sunday and i think dewana bonner she would be 
um, a great candidate to be inducted into the WNBA Hall of Fame someday as well. Yeah, and we'll just see how uh, how bright the sun will shine in the uh, in the playoffs. That's for sure. What else is on your mind today? Uh, well, I'm actually uh, looking at how my Cowboys are going to do uh, this coming up weekend. I know we've got a, a really tough road in um, Arizona, so. Um, I'm just going to see how we're going to do. We just have some uh, key injury players that are out, so I'm just going to see what they're, what what's really going to what what the uh, sources are actually going to say. If these are day to day or week to week, how these uh, key injuries are on the uh, Dallas Cowboys roster as well. Yeah, unfortunately, Trayvon Diggs tore his ACL in practice today, and. Of course, he was a very good corner for Dallas, and so that's going to be a big loss. I still think Dallas has a wonderful defense. They're going to be a really good team, and and they'll handle Arizona, but certainly a, a big loss moving forward uh, for your Cowboys. But again, I think they'll they'll get up to the three and zero for sure. Uh, James, we're about out of time with you. Do you want one quick uh, one or two quick trivia questions here about uh, Auburn homecoming? Um, sure, I'll take those. Uh, I'll take those. As well. Yeah, I know you requested them towards the end of last week and uh, didn't hear from you for a few days, and then you requested them yesterday. So want to get one or two, do you, uh, real quick uh, before okay. the, the week gets going. So I think Brooks Brooks has a uh, question or two for you. Yeah, James, you All ready? Right. I am ready. All right. What is the title of the award given at halftime of the homecoming game? Oh, man, the award that's given to the – during the halftime. Yeah, somebody uh, has crowned this at halftime. Oh, man, they did say this last week. Um, I think it is the crown of Miss Auburn University. Not quite. Uh, you're close, though. It is Miss. What is it? Uh, oh, man, it was one of the... I know this one. Um Darn it. I know this one. Um, I think is Miss is uh Miss Homecoming. That's right, Miss Homecoming. That's correct. Yeah, I had to I had to figure it out some some way because I know I didn't heard it last week when we played against Sanford. Yeah, good job, James. We got one more for you. All right, James, All right. I got a good one for you. So when was the last time that Auburn lost their homecoming game and what year? What year was it? Oh, I know this one. Um, I think I was in. I think I was in Jordan Hare Stadium for this one. I would have to say this would be twenty. I'll probably take a long uh, seventy-five yard uh, kick on this one. I'll probably say twenty thirteen. Not quite, not quite. Got to keep going. You got to go a little bit uh, further back. Yeah, further back. Um, I know it's not 2013. I know it's not 2014. I know it's not 2015. The, the, the other way, James, the other way. Um, I'll have to say 2014. Unfortunately, that is... Uh... <laughs> Unfortunately, it's a little incorrect. Uh, it's in the 19... Uh, it's in the right. 90s. Yeah. It's in the 90s. Yeah. Oh, in the 90s. I'll have to say 1993. Oh, you're so close. It was uh, It was 1991. Auburn lost to Mississippi State 24-17. to All right. Oh, 
That's right. I, I think I was, um, I don't even have a ticket for that one, but I think I did see that game and I turned off my TV at that point. Yeah, that would that would definitely be fair. That was a frustrating one. Well, all right, James. Well, we uh, appreciate the phone call as always, and we look forward to hearing you uh, hearing from you again tomorrow. All right, I sure will call y'all from Florida as well. All right, well, you have a safe trip down there. All right, sounds good. And War Eagle, War Eagle. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, and we're going to head to our next timeout of the show. Back with more right after this. Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. Now we head right back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up on the show, Daryl from Auburn. Daryl is with us. Daryl, how are you this afternoon? Fine. I just want to let you know I appreciate you making my horizon appreciation of sports much more than football. Uh, during the course of time, the last three years, I've appreciated basketball. Well, that was 2017. And then recently, baseball. And I've got a statistic that Port uh, M. Steve would buy, probably appreciate. I've been watching It's a, a baseball, a film by Ken Burns. It's a PBS presentation. Yeah, Ken Burns baseball, yeah. Have you seen that? I've seen parts of it. They air it sometimes on the MLB Network. Parts of it on a on a, in the off season. Okay. Well, they've actually it's a six dish series I'm getting from the library, but this one goes out to Wardam Steve. Then I'm not going to ask you how to guess, but uh, the first professional football, I mean basketball, baseball player was George Wright in oh. 1869. Okay. He played for the Cincinnati Red Stockings. And guess how much George Wright, he's the first uh, pro player. You know how much money he made? Oh, I don't know. Maybe a couple hundred dollars or a hundred dollars or something? No, keep on going. It's $1,400. $1,400, okay. Which, according to that time, was seven times the average working man's pay. Now, no disrespect for uh, Ward and Steve, but maybe... He should go back in time, and he'd appreciate the uh, pay salary discrepancies between uh, professional sports and amateur sports. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. No. He he often, well, he often refers to the NFL or uh, professional players possibly making too much. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. 
Gotcha. And but, the, but back to back in 1869, the first professional players made, I, I would think, very reasonable within what a working man would pay. Sure. And then, uh, and then um, I just finished the first uh, uh, disc. I'll watch all six in a matter of time, but I'm not going to inundate you with uh, statistics and uh, history, but, you know, and I think it's a great PBS series if anybody has an opportunity to watch it. Yeah, again, no, I, I, if that's, the, I think that might be the same series, or at least it's a similar series to some that I've seen before. And Ken Burns does a really good job uh, with the history of baseball. Well, he he does a lot of history stuff for PBS. Mm-hmm. Sure, he does other and, stuff. Yeah. Anyway, I just want to share that with you, and then uh, I am. Listen, I just got through pest control for the department, so we got finished early, so I'm getting to listen to your whole show. Excellent. Well, uh, we certainly appreciate you listening to us. Okie dokie. We'll see you. That is Daryl from Auburn joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Appreciate Daryl for calling in today and for uh, for listening whenever he is able to. So I uh, appreciate Daryl for that. And uh, with that, we go right back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally, toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Ward Dam Steve. Retire Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Yes, marvelous, guys. Uh, thank you for having me going in. I just heard Daryl's comments. Uh, no respect, Daryl, but you know, uh, bats are fine. Uh, but I also remember uh, my staff telling me, uh, you know, numbers don't lie; only those who interpret them do. Yes, sir. You tell so, us tell that to us often. Yes, yes, and uh, I, I want to keep it that way. You know, I don't make up these numbers, and I just make comparisons. Yeah, I do think the uh, uh, NFL people uh, make outrageous amount of money, but they don't make the most. It's basketball players that make the most money, I believe, right? Uh, basketball players, yes. Basketball players per year because they can make forty to fifty million a year. That usually outweighs baseball or football. Yes. Yeah, and Daryl, what would have really been helpful if you'd have told us what was fourteen hundred dollars back in that era? Uh, Equivalent to today. Inflation. Then, then we know. Well, how 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 much was that compared to? The average salary back then, I don't know. Well, I think I think we might have TP looking it up right now. But he did, like he did say, uh, seven times what the average uh, average worker made. So we do know it was still. Yeah, well, that's uh, nothing now. Uh, probably what most professional sports players probably three hundred times. What? Yeah. The average, uh, well, certainly uh, the is. yeah, certainly the high end ones. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, All right. Well, yep. let's go to some fun things. Okay. Who said the following? And this, it's just, uh, I mean, it, it never it never stops here. I'm a monument, not a moment. Uh, Dion say that? You you guessed it very well. Uh, you know him better than I do, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, he just, uh, it, 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 context clues, yeah. Okay, now I don't know what this is reference to. Do you know, I just saw it on Instagram. Uh, what was it reference to? I, I, I'm not sure. I, 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 I don't know if he's just talking about the movement at Colorado and 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 how it wants to be more than just a moment. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know the con I didn't see the context. I didn't see the quote. I, so Well after I asked you, I just read it underneath it. It says Deion Sanders answers critics saying what's happening in Colorado is a moment. Uh huh. That's what the context was. Right. Okay. Deion, get ready to uh have your mind that crumbled to dust uh come Saturday by Oregon. Uh, unless you guys see it differently. Uh, no, I, I see Oregon winning, but, again, that would also be, yeah, I mean, 
part of it too and, and why I've had, you know, just a little hesitation is you got to do it for a certain period of time. Um, you know, it's certainly it, in this sense, it is a moment because they're obviously all the things way better than last year. Uh, definitely captivating the, the college football universe, but obviously for the big picture stuff, you've got to win big games. And again, I'm not going to discredit year one of this because they will lose some of these games, but you got to play it out over a further period of time. So, and, and, and he also knows that too, because he wants it to be more than a moment, but yeah, no, I think Oregon will, will beat them on Saturday. Yeah. And we're going to do maybe some, some comparisons to making a comment like that. Hey, you know, when Gus Malzahn came and took over a woeful three and nine team, um, gee, Manny, uh, it was more than a moment. He took his all way national championship playoff. Yeah, obviously had a uh, an unbelievable first year. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on, guys. About the upcoming game Saturday, I want to get your your take on this. It looks like, uh, according to Jason Caldwell or Nathan King's uh, uh, stat reports here about the A and M offense. He says their success through the air has come comes some issues on the ground. And so they apparently, according to this uh, stats here, they've been struggling, averaging 129.67 yards per game. All right, and then he says their biggest threat for Auburn's defense will likely come from a wide receiver group. That includes people like Anaya Smith. Yeah, he's going to be a terror. Uh, Noah Thomas. And yet. Evan Stewart, uh, yeah. I remember yeah. talking to you guys yesterday that uh, our defense. They do best against the pass. Right. Right. So hopefully, and I also read that apparently Miami was giving um, the, the A&M's uh, quarterback some uh, real fits because they kept putting a lot of pressure. Now, we have been doing uh, a lot of pressure as well as I have. Or do you see guys? I mean, I haven't seen that much pressure. Have you? Yeah, Hugh Freeze called it average earlier. Uh, this week and and so they've had some pressure at times but also you got to consider the fact that again two of the three games you expect the SEC team to be pushing around the types of teams they've been playing and uh, they certainly got some pressure in key moments against Cal I mean we, we know that they were making Sam Jackson run around even though he's a mobile quarterback got sacked a couple key situations so again I, I think that's a fair evaluation I don't think that it's they're dominating, um, dominating back there. But I do think that they've been acceptable so far, and it has been a weakness for A and M, as our caller Matt from Phoenix City pointed out with the stat yesterday. There's there's forty some odd pressures uh, against A and M already, where Connor Wegman drops back about forty to forty five percent of the time he's being pressured uh, this year. So their their offensive line has not passed blocked well. So what do you expect to see from our defensive coordinator uh, in terms of scheming? Uh, sure, we can't we can't blitz every down. Yeah, I mean, no one blitzes every down, but I I do think they will blitz a decent amount. I think Roberts has a tendency in his career to to blitz a good bit, blitz with different personnel groupings and that sort of thing. And and that's my mode of uh, that that's that's my favorite type of coordinator. I do I do like a lot of blitzing, put chaos on these kids to make quick decisions and. Uh, you know, I, I think as good as Auburn's DBs are, I still, I'm still always going to be of the opinion a passing attack worth its salt. If you give them five seconds to throw and to get open, at some point someone will. And so I still think it's about creating enough pressure to get. It, it, it's not even always about getting the sack either. Too, I don't want to dumb it down to one stat. I think it's about that pressure stat. I think it's about how many times you displace a quarterback from the pocket. 
how many times you make them change their eyes to where they're not looking at their reads anymore, that they're just trying to look at the pressure to avoid it. Uh, you know, I think all that sort of stuff plays into it. And so there's not a magical sack number for me on Saturday, but you do want pressures to be up. You do want quarterback hits to be up, and you want the quarterback to be having to worry about things that are directly in front of them other than, oh, I'm, I've, I've got time to look at my second and third reads and go back to my first read and all that sort of stuff. I am concerned with all about the injuries on the defensive side. Um Nehemiah Pritchett, is he going to be playing? Nehemiah Pritchett, I, I'm not uh, entirely sure. I, I think we're going to get some injury updates from Brian Matthews here at 5 o'clock. I know that a lot of these guys have been out there at practice to, to some degree. There was an open uh, practice viewing window on Tuesday. I have to double-check everyone that was out there. But a lot of the guys that were that have been banged up uh, have, at li- have at least been out there a little bit. So aside from Keontae Scott, who obviously is out several weeks, I think everyone has a chance of playing, uh, but we can ask Brian about some particular players. So who do you think is our, our best players going to be covering these, these receivers? Because they're good. And I have Smith, Evan Stewart, and Noah Thomas. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, DJ James will, will be out there. Uh, you'll see, I think you'll see some Kai and Lee uh, you hope Pritchett, Pritchett can play, excuse me, so that uh, he would be out there. You know, Simpson. I mean, again, they'll play. They'll play four to five guys back there uh, for sure. And and depending on how many healthy bodies they have, that will dictate how much man they'll probably play. Because if the the weaker of a group you're playing with, the more zone you would probably play. Uh, but I I think that that they again it, it's. It's not even too much about those guys in the back because I still think some of those guys are really good, and, and DJ James is somebody that, that is really good. I just think that it's going to be more dictated about whether it's three seconds or five to throw, whether it's you know five pressures or 12 pressures. That, that, that sort of stuff is going to be important. Okay. Uh, and uh, I don't recall reading that uh, their quarterback, um, what's his name again, remind me? Connor Wegman. Yeah, uh, he hasn't thrown that many interceptions, has he? Uh, he's thrown a couple. I mean, again, you're not going to necessarily throw a lot of them uh, in college at all. I mean, I know what's th- does Thorne have three this year? Is that is that what his total's up to? I know he had two. Three or four. Two in the Sanford game. Uh, you know, I think that with Wegman, I know he threw two against Miami. Uh, I-, I think that for him – you know he's still been a pretty pretty darn accurate passer. He's around seventy percent on the year. So look, a turnover is out there to be had based off the Miami game short. So I, I I don't, but I don't know if he's if if you would consider him above or below average in in taking care of the ball. I think he's about standard. Okay, all right. Finally, guys, I know time is running short. On this date in two thousand eight, uh, what happened in professional baseball? Uh, what year did you say? Two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. Uh, Major League Baseball historic event. I don't know. Uh, did uh, Ubaldo Jimenez perfect game? I don't know. I don't. Or Brooke, no hitter. Who else is on there? Um, gosh, I'm. I was trying to think. Uh, is it? That'd be too. Mm, <laughs> gosh, I don't know. Did did somebody? Set a set a home run record or something? Nope, nope. 
Uh, anybody else want to take a guess before I give you the answer? I have no idea what it is. <laughs> okay, good answer. <laughs> All right. So it was about the last game played at Yankee Stadium. Oh, okay. In the finale, it says the Yankees come from History Channel. Uh, they played the Baltimore Orioles, and they didn't go to the playoffs that year. Uh, but the year the following that they won the World Series. But anyway, uh, they played the Baltimore Orioles, and they had uh, future Hall of Famers uh, attend uh, the game. And, uh, it was a big uh, turnout. But anyway, that's what happened. That was the last uh, game that played at the uh, historic uh, Yankee Stadium or the house that uh, Babe Ruth built. All and right. That's yeah. what I want to see you guys 25 years ago. 15 years ago, yeah. Uh, Is that? Yeah. yeah, you're right, 15, yeah, I'm, I'm, thanks for correcting me, uh, yeah, okay. uh, my, my, my age is uh, betraying me now. Okay, so guys, that's it, that's all I've got. Hey, thank you very much for your comments, and uh, Daryl, uh, keep keep with uh, those staff, man, I'd love to hear other people's numbers as well. And I'm looking forward to hearing Mr. Brian Matthews' take on our team. The uh, field forecasters uh, are kind of split on us, we either don't beat the point spread or we win the game outright. So uh, well, we'll see how it turns out. But uh, until then, you guys have a safe afternoon and evening, and uh, we'll do this again hopefully uh, tomorrow. Maybe I might make some sense. Where you guys? Where you'll see. Appreciate that phone call as always. That is retired Ward MC joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We have about two more minutes left in this hour or so. Just running back through Connor Wegman's numbers one more time. Uh, just to be clear, he does have two interceptions on the season, and they were both in that Miami game. Uh, against Miami, 31 of 53, 336 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. You know, ultimately with that pressure stat, because again, that, that pressure stat says that nearly half the time he's, he's under pressure, he's only been sacked three times this year. So it, it is not like, uh, the ultimate result has been negative. He's been able to maneuver his way around a lot of that. Now, again, New Mexico and ULM account for two-thirds of the season, and, and their ability to finish plays is going to be far different than Auburn's or, or an SEC team's. But I do think that early signs are – now, to what degree, I don't know. But early signs are that, yes, Wegman has improved – a&M has improved offensively. You mentioned those wide receivers, Noah Thomas and Anaya Smith. Thomas has the four TDs to lead their receivers. Anaya Smith's been in this league for a while. He's been a, a very competent receiver. But it's Evan Stewart in two games that maybe I'm keeping a bigger eye on because he had 257 in the two games that he's played, and that included the Miami game. And so Evan Stewart, somebody that I'm uh, keeping a high on, uh, high eye on because he had 11 catches, a buck 42 against Miami. So I, I I think that this is going to be an interesting uh, opportunity for the for the DB room. Again, also with the injuries, and again we can hit on some of these with Brian Matthews and see the updates as of Tuesday when the media got an open viewing window. Uh, Justin Ferguson tweeted out that he could confirm that Nehemiah Pritchett. Donovan Kaufman, Xavier Miller, Cam Stutz, Javarius Johnson, and Jalen McLeod were all practicing. To what degree and what capacity, the media window does not extend far enough to know that. Uh, but all those guys were at least slight, light participants on the Tuesday practice. Uh, and J.D. Rim was with safeties and nickels instead of corners, Justin also wrote, because J.D. Rim, somebody that did play, have an interception against uh, Sanford. So, 
again, there's a chance as of now, and maybe Tiger Talk reveals more tonight, Hugh Freeze does or something, but there's a chance that really all those guys end up playing. Now, are they hampered? Are they 100%, 90%? That we don't know. Uh, but again, to my knowledge so far, no one has been ruled out of that group. And again, at 5 o'clock would be a great opportunity to talk to Brian Matthews about all that. We are out of time for hour number one of the program. When we come back in hour number two, we will shift gears just a little bit. We'll talk some NFL in the second hour of the program. Again, the aforementioned Brian Matthews will join us at 5, and we'll talk some more college football at that time and in the 5 o'clock hour. So stay tuned. A lot more ahead on this Thursday edition of Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, a depressed Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. When a local joint you know and love that you grew up with closes, it's a tough day. And uh, Brooks just delivered, got delivered that news of a Robertsdale area establishment that uh, is going to no longer exist in a few days. And um, it's a very emotional moment in his life. I leave for a few years and they can't keep the thing open. <laughs> Brooks was. Uh, I don't know what to think right now. <laughs> I don't know how. Uh, how much uh, Brooks is going to be able to provide to this second hour as he uh, mourns the loss of, uh, again, a great uh, Robertsdale area establishment, Willie T's. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I understand you needing a, a, a moment there to uh, collect your thoughts. We're going to – oh, go ahead. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Wait. There's one in Eufaula. Oh. There's a Willie T's in Eufaula. Okay. That's There's hope. That's an hour. I can do it. I can still get a fix in. <laughs> But dang it, you're closing the Robert Stilt one. <laughs> well, it gets emotional in here when uh, Chicken leaves us. So. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you still have that. You still have a backup then. Anyway, we continue on here in the second hour of the program. Reminder that to start the 5 o'clock hour, Brian Matthews will be with us to talk all things Auburn A&M. We'll get some injury updates, matchup updates against the Aggies. And uh, we'll talk some college football there in the 5 o'clock hour. want to open the second hour with a little NFL for you here on NFL Thursdays. Of course, each and every Thursday, the NFL uh, gets a new week kicked off. Tonight is a game that 
Brand-wise would be exciting, but I just think results-wise it's going to be very one-sided. San Francisco 49ers playing host to the New York Giants. 49ers 2-0 on the season, looking pretty good so far. Forty uh, Giants, excuse me, looking really bad through six halves of football. They figured it out in Arizona in the second half, so they get to 1-1 on the season, but no Saquon Barkley in this game tonight. Uh, let's look at some big-picture NFL items so far, guys. Uh, what what stood out to you guys across the league so far? Either a team that's been shockingly good so far, a team that's having a rough go of it that you were a little surprised to start 0-2 or, or what have you. What, what have you seen so far? That chicken's leaving us. Okay. Uh, TP, char- Chargers 0-2. Is that well, disappointing? That, I, t- I said it before the season started. I said the Chargers are one of the strangest teams out there. They just find ways to lose. And so that one's not as surprising. They lost the way that I thought by around two to three points whenever they probably shouldn't have lost. Uh, I will say a surprising one is the Commanders. They are 2-0. Uh, their offense looks really good under Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy coming over from Kansas City. Uh, I guess I got to talk about it since I'm a Bears fan, just how dysfunctional the Bears have been through two weeks of football. Like FBI raids normally not good. No, not <laughs> at all. DC resigning, just wide receivers mic'd up saying that they're not getting used enough, and that's the truth. And it's just – I thought it would be like the Cardinals, honestly. The Cardinals said – I mean, I know they blew that lead against the Giants, but they looked like they had hope and fight and all. But, you know, you got to look. You know, the Bears got to go to Kansas City this week, and that could be really ugly. That could that could get bad in a hurry. So I will say just how dysfunctional the Bears have looked, like, as a whole, I think that could be trouble for some of the um, staffees at that um, at that organization because I could see if this continues on, it's just a whole entire dysfunctional year. It doesn't matter how long you've been there. NFL teams do not take up with just that style of run and where it's just – total chaos they'll, they'll fire everyone so i could see it being a if they don't get the ship turned around it could be a very bad year for bears fans also some notable zero and twos like cincinnati who started off the year are you a little worried about the Bengals out of the gates well i i said last week on this show i said it was mildly concerning whenever they lost 24 to 3 to the browns and i think it has more to do with Joe Burrow and his calf injury. I don't think it's totally healed, and it's just not – I think he should take like a week or two off, maybe just a week off. Maybe that'll help. But it's just – yeah, that one was was really surprising. I did pick the Ravens to beat them last week, but it's just been – it's been a little surprising just how – you know, I knew that the calf injury would be a problem, but I thought it would be more towards mobility – but it's just really hindered that offense as a whole. It just looks really yeah. just very strange and just abnormal. But I think once Joe Burrow – give it around October, and I think he'll be back to where he was. I did. I was curious to see when their bye week would be because bye week started, I believe, next week in the NFL. And they do have a bye week that's still in the front half of the year. It's the October 22nd. Uh, weekend, so they will have played six games before they have a bye. So definitely on the front, closer end of things, and so that would be an opportune time for him. But again, I, I think I would be concerned this is going to be a year-long problem because he had a more significant calf injury to start the year. He gets four weeks off basically for the preseason, three, four weeks, and then he comes out and it takes two weeks for him to re-injure it a little bit. So 
I'm concerned about it because I just don't know if the full health is going to be there. This is a team that, as Joe Bartle noted yesterday, usually starts slow. They figure it out the the last 10 to 12 games. But uh, I I think at some point they're going to have one of these weird years where they just just end up uh, having a disappointing season. The good news for them is that Pittsburgh looks unsteady with a shaky Kenny Pickett, a shaky offense first couple weeks. Cleveland losing Nick Chubb now falls on the, the shoulders of Deshaun Watson to return to Houston form. So it's not like this division is so far in two games, not trying to overreact to two two out of 17. Uh, but so far, this division is, is seeing a pathway to being disappointing this year. AFC East is your neck of the woods, Brooks Childress. Patriots uh, had a fight with Miami, got back in it in the second half on Sunday Night Football last week. Kind of same deal there is, you know, a little bit of, of shaky starts there uh, with Buffalo in week one. They did come back uh, and, and look very good last week. But you've got the situation with the Jets and Aaron Rodgers being out. Uh, you know that with Miami, they've been really good to start the year. They were really good to start the year last year, but then two injury problems happened. Can they make it through a full healthy year? Uh, that division now has a pathway to being a little disappointing in some senses. Where are you at with the with AFC East? It, it it's kind of weird. Um, I, I did not, you know, I I didn't expect big things for the Patriots this year, but I did not expect them to be zero and two. I thought they would grab at least one of those two games. Um, but it's just, it's you know, I, I came in. I think I said it Sunday night, and then I came in saying it Monday. Um, it's the way that they've lost both of those games to the Patriots. Is they they got down early. And then they fought their way back, had a chance to go down and either tie or win the game on both of those games in the last drive, and they just could not execute. And I think that's where you're seeing, um, you're, you're you know you're seeing the disconnect there between uh, Mac Jones being an elite quarterback in the in the NFL and a passable quarterback, uh, a, a good quarterback, but he's just lacking the weapons. If you get him some more weapons, he can elevate him. You, you can elevate Mac Jones a little bit more, but the you know. Tom Brady, you know, I, I don't want to compare to Mac Jones to Tom Brady in all forms because Tom Brady is his own entity. Like, no, nobody needs to be compared against uh, against Tom Brady. But when, when you look at the way, you know, Mac Jones is the first solid quarterback that the Patriots have had since Brady. Um, and so Mac Jones, his, you know, Brady was able to move the ball down the field and, and win some of those games with this same level of same level of uh, of. Uh, skill on the outside, uh, skill positions, and Mac Jones is just just almost to th- to the point where he can you know make some of those games work, but it- he's not there yet, and he needs a little bit more help on that outside. The Jets, um, obviously, you know the the injury to Aaron Rodgers kind of derails things a bit. There's still you know still the the fact that they're one and one on the year. Um, I-, I think that's impressive without Aaron Rodgers for you know let's just say both games because he only took a couple snaps in that first game. Uh, the Bills, again, little little shocked that they're 1-1. One one. You know, obviously you would have thought they would have been 2-0 with that Jets game to lead things off. And then the Dolphins, you know, they've come out of the gate stormy. It, 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 you know, if they if they continue to play like this, as long as Tua stays healthy, 
Um, I think Mike McDaniels has figured out how to how to maximize Tua in that offense, and it's getting the ball out of his hands quick. And the Patriots have a really good defense, um, and, and I think you know a lot of people look at it and say it's one of the be- better defenses in the league. Uh, they weren't getting close to him, and it's not because um, it's it's not because uh, Miami's just got this amazing offensive line that just you know blows people off the ball and you can't get anywhere near them. No, it's you know Tua snapped the ball out of his hands. It's like two seconds with the ball is out of his hands or something ridiculous like that last week and so it's you know they, they found this rhythm now Mike McDaniels has found this rhythm where you get the ball out of to his hands very quickly and it's you know it, as long as it's accurate you're making plays and you get it to your playmakers I mean you've got Raheem Mostert you've got Tyreek Hill you've got um you, you've Jaylen got Jalen Waddle yeah. uh, those are some good weapons to get your ball to and that you know especially a, a guy like Hill that can and I say a guy like Hill Waddle's very fast uh, we uh, we saw him you know when he was at Alabama I think you know he was the one that was turning kicks for Alabama and punts because he was the fastest of the the big wide receivers that they had at the time. And so you've got two very speedy guys on the outside uh, and if you get you can get the ball to those weapons, it's it's you know it's hard for defenses to catch up and and to uh, and to make plays on them. But yeah, the Dolphins are uh, Dolphins. You know, dark horse now to maybe win the division if they can take they can take a uh, take on Buffalo because. Uh, I don't. I don't want to say it's still the. You know, it's still there. But you, you, you're in the back. In the back of everybody's minds, you're still looking at that. Is Josh Allen regressing just a little without Brian Dable uh, there? Like he, we saw a little bit of it last year. Um, but you know, does it keep going the, the the rest of the year? And you know, like like you said, it's two games in. You don't want to overreact to anything. They're one and one. The the one loss is on a you know on a a, a, a not one don't want to say a fluke play, but an amazing play by uh, the Jets uh, Jets. And so they could very well easily easily be two and zero uh, on the year and right there with Miami. But I tell you what, Miami looks good in the in the AFC East. But yeah, it, it's. It, it, it doesn't look like what we thought it was early. Two things I'd like to note, and the first thing is that I've been very impressed by the two AFC South rookie quarterbacks, and Anthony Richardson and C.J. Stroud. I was I really thought Richardson would struggle more. I thought that uh, Stroud would also struggle. And granted, he, uh, he didn't do that well in the first game against the Ravens, but the Ravens' defense are one of the better ones in the NFL. But whenever they played last week, you could just tell that both of them are just really talented, and you can see why both of those franchises see them as the future of those franchises. I know Richardson left the game with a concussion; he'll be he'll be back soon. But he, he uh, Shane Shiken really knows how to use Anthony Richardson, and I've been very impressed with that because I thought there'd a lot be there'd be more turnovers, maybe some more growing pains, and that that still will probably come. But so far in this early season, he's done really well. And likewise with, uh, likewise with Stroud, who uh, against the Colts last week, he had a, around 380 yards and two touchdowns. That's really good considering how uh, a lot of people think that the Texans' offensive line is one of the bottom ones in the league, and the receiving core is not highly touted, but he's done really well. And so that's been one of the more – and we've seen Bryce struggle with the Panthers, and, you know, he's uh, – He's injured right now. So that one's been a little bit surprising, just how quick they've been able to adjust to the NFL. And I'm sure, you know, with more tape, you know, they'll start to struggle more. But And the second thing that's been a, a little surprising is the Broncos being 0-2 because uh, I'm a, I am believe in Sean Payton. I think he's a really good coach. I think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I know some people don't think he's that good, but I think he's really good. And uh, they just – 
They lost the first game 17-16 to the Raiders, who we thought were going to come in last in that division, and they still very well could. And then they lost to the Commanders, who, if, you know, last week, if we would have thought last in the NFC East. Yeah, absolutely. And if you would have asked us last week, we probably all would have picked the Broncos. So, or at least, you know, 99, uh, 90% of people. But, yeah, they just haven't looked that great, and that's been a little surprising. Maybe – Maybe the uh, maybe they still have a lot more work to do than uh, originally thought. Yeah, I, and what it could just be is that it's not only a Russell Wilson production standpoint, it's that maybe some of the locker room has to kind of re-soften towards him because they, we heard the reports of Sean Payton kind of trying to light a fire on a Russell and say, hey, uh, this preseason, hey, Stop, stop worrying about what you look like in the media. Stop worrying about what you look like out in public. You'll be a football player. And in some of that last year is, is probably wore the wrong way on a lot of those, those teammates, a lot of those players. And leadership can inspire others around you to make the critical play, the critical moment, the extra ounce of hustle. Um, and the, and just the belief, like even if they do like Russell or think you know we're optimistic for a turnaround this year, you lose your first two games and the doubt creeps in, and you just feel like you're at the end of the day you feel like you're gonna lose. You don't know how. You don't necessarily think you're worse than the other team. You're just like here it comes again. Oh, here comes the comeback. Oh, and it just over and over again and. It's like again, no offense to Washington because they might be onto something with Sam Howell. But if you're if you are Denver, and this is where we talk about with Auburn A and M, like if you're Texas A and M and you want to have a recovery year, you can't lose to Auburn. Auburn might be better than you thought. Auburn might be on on a, on a great path here early on in year one of a new administration. You, but if you want to make it look like the top six classes you've been having and the gobs of money you're paying Jimbo Fisher, you can't lose. You can't lose on your home field. And same thing with the Broncos and the NFL. Washington might end up being acceptable. Uh, Ron Rivera might beat the allegations. Uh, you know, Sam Howell might end up being a really good NFL quarterback. But in year one of that, in game two of Sam Howell this year, you can't lose on your home field with the 30-some-year-old veteran quarterback and the coach you brought in to rehab him. You can't do that. Uh, and so I have no faith in Denver whatsoever. They're going to be down there with the Raiders uh, in, a, in a garbage party of, of four or five wins or whatever because, yeah, that that's my biggest takeaway is nothing about them has actually changed on a football field yet. Nothing about them has told me that they are going to end up having a good team. I think they'll lose to Miami, go to 0-3, and sure, they've got a couple games after that, like Chicago and the Jets. After that, they give them an opportunity. But then Kansas City, Green Bay, Kansas City again, Buffalo. This was already some of the winnable stuff on your schedule. Yeah, absolutely. It's just – it's really interesting to see that because, you know, we thought last year at the Broncos, you know, we had seen seen where quarterbacks had made the move – the quarterbacks have made the move, and they had won Super Bowls. We saw it with Tom Brady. We saw it with Matthew Stafford. So a lot of people were saying, oh, well, this is going to be Denver. You know, this was last year. People were like, oh, well, Denver's, you know, it's going to be time. They got their veteran quarterback. They got this new 
head coach, he's young, he's an offensive mind, this is all going to be good, and it was terrible. And then they, and then this year, it's like, oh, well, they got Sean Payton, and it's like, oh, you know, Sean Payton, you know, that's a Hall of Fame coach right there, he's won a Super Bowl before, yeah, they're, they're going to be, you know, it's going to be a quick fix, you know, it was a, it was a Hackett problem, you know, a lot of people were saying that, they were like, oh, don't blame Russ, this is a, this was a Hackett problem. Well, now it just looks like it's a Denver problem. Now it just looks – it's gone from being a Nathaniel Hackett problem to maybe a Russell Wilson problem to just being a Denver problem. you got to think maybe that's just culture. Maybe maybe uh, this offseason – like you said, I don't believe in the Broncos either. I totally agree with you. Maybe this offseason, though, you're going to have to let some people go that some people may not be fond of, but maybe that resets your culture. Yeah, I have to double-check the, the financial commitment on Wilson because I know there's a big contract there, but uh, certainly the draft capital they gave up, I mean, they, they, they invested a lot. It was not just one or the other. They invested both. Uh, and to then invest another coach that's worked with uh, Drew Brees for a lot of his career, uh, it would be, a uh, again, a, another – Tough year, tough pill to swallow for Denver, and if they ultimately have to move on from that, even tougher. 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one tiger 9 to join us on the orthopedic clinic phone line. We take one more phone call here before our next break. Next up, it's Jones from Pike Road. Jones, how are you this afternoon? Doing good. How are you doing? Doing well. Good. Hey, do you think with the uh, Diggs tearing his knee up at practice today, with the Cowboys, that Dig Benogany will start now? I think there's a good chance of that, absolutely. I mean, he's already been active and making plays on special teams. Uh, not long ago, he was a first-round pick, and so I think he's absolutely going to end up at least playing, if not starting. Uh, and, again, it's going to be an opportunity and open audition all season long because, as you said, it's a, it's a torn ACL, so Diggs will be out for the year. And the good news is is that that defense is so good that, they, I mean, they've got plenty of other strengths to, to hone in on, but – yeah, I think Noah Igbenogany's got a, an excellent chance to play. Good. I appreciate your show, guys. Absolutely. Appreciate you for calling in. That is uh, Jones from Pike Road joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Yeah, Noah Igbenogany with a, a great opportunity getting traded right before the season, and then he goes and scores a touchdown on Sunday night football of week one. And, again, a guy that uh, was a wide receiver, Uh Converted the DB at Auburn. That's happened a couple times successfully with our very own Trevon Reed. Uh, that that happened in the uh, early 2010s. Got a, a carved out an NFL career for a few years there. And yeah, I think Igbenogany is absolutely going to going to get an opportunity. He's been active and again on special teams. And I, I just I I I also think that Dallas looking at that decision, you don't trade for a guy. Uh, that has that much upside that was drafted that high so recently if you don't think there's still some chance of development in there like you're not you're not usually given these first round pick guys an opportunity way down the line you're usually giving them a second and third chance really close to when they're drafted because you still see hey we've got eight to ten years of being able to potentially have a guy that was thought of around the league as a first or second round grade guy. And so you don't get the opportunity to work with someone that new in the league very often that you might have still had high because he gets drafted by Miami there, you know, wherever it was, uh, 30th or 28th, 31st, something something high 20s, just in in front of the, the end of the round. You get an opportunity to work with someone that, Heck, maybe Dallas graded him as 22nd on their board. He did go 30th, I confirmed, three years ago. 
maybe they had him 22nd, 24th. You never know. So uh, I, I absolutely think he's getting an opportunity to play now, uh, now that there is the Diggs injury, and they'll probably have someone else in mind to, to maybe get some snaps there too. But, uh, yeah, excited for Noah's opportunity. Again, he's uh, – He's still just 23, by the way. He was a 1999 guy, born in November. So, yeah, again, I, I think that that's uh, an exciting opportunity for Noah for sure. We're going to take our next time out of the show. When we come back, we will look at some of these games up ahead on Sunday. A little bit later, back to Auburn and Texas A&M with Brian Matthews. He'll join us to talk injury updates for the Tigers ahead of Texas A&M. And a little bit later there in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll look at a couple of the biggest matchups around the country for college football coming up this Saturday. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Stay tuned. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress, T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday edition of the show. We have had a beautiful, sunny, not hot and too humid week of weather. Nothing like what it's going to be in College Station when highs are going to be in the upper 90s on Saturday. So glad that weather is not here. Uh, one more quick follow-up on uh, Jones from Pike Road's question. Again, he asked us about Noah Igbenogany. Certainly appreciate that question. I uh, was doing further research. Deron Bland is the other corner that could play uh, with Igbenogany. Bland was listed as a nickelback, uh, the starting nickelback for Dallas when they go to that formation, and Igbenogany was the backup to Diggs on the, one of those outside corner positions. So you could see some Bland, but you'll also see some Igbenogany in there too. But I, I think both will certainly uh, play in the absence of Trevon Diggs. And their other corner, for the record, is Stephon Gilmore. So, again, a very loaded uh, defense for the Dallas Cowboys. All right, so let's – preview some of these matchups here and we'll still think some big picture in the nfl as well uh, when we're talking sunday again we talk nfl on thursdays and we focus all the college football on friday of course we still have college football today too with brian matthews coming up at five and then uh look at a couple of the top 10 top 25 games in college football coming up on friday but nfl day is our thursdays so let's look at a few of these matchups we mentioned broncos dolphins a little bit already because of the broncos travails Titans Browns an interesting one that those two teams I I still see a playoff scenario for them too uh, I mean like I just talked about with Cleveland uh, or with the AFC North not really loving Pittsburgh's offense although that was a loss for Cleveland the other night could have should have won the game not really loving Cincinnati's situation because of Burrow's health so that might open up a spot there uh, behind Baltimore if, if Watson can play well, which a many feels a big if right now. Tennessee at 1-1 one and one, did not like them at all in week one. Didn't like it at all. Throwing picks. I don't think that New Orleans is great at the end of the day, but they do win a close one against Tennessee. Tennessee then responds on the home field, beats the Chargers, and look, I think that Staley is a, is a goner 
if not during this year, at the end of the year. But that's still a team that on paper you would say would be able to beat Tennessee, and Tennessee got them. So this is an interesting game for the winner because I think it could propel them towards uh, being feisty there in the playoff picture. You guys in are completely out on Titans-Browns, or do you see a pathway here too? Do you just want to move on? Uh, I, up to you guys. I, I don't know. I just kind of I, I think these two teams are interesting to watch. Yeah, I, I think they're interesting. To, uh, you know, like you were saying, you you look at um, you, you look at this game. I just want to know if Ryan Tannehill can get any better this year. I mean, it it doesn't you know it well, feel he, like it. No, no, he's he's a known commodity. It's 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 almost does he get any worse? Because I mean, seriously, he's. He's towards the end of an average career. Average quarterbacks don't age well. Yeah, and, and he's I mean, never and been better than an average quarterback. I guess that's what I meant to say is could he get even worse? But I, I, I think if he takes a couple more steps back, you know, in the in the positive direction, don't throw as many interceptions. Right. Is right. what is, go back to the twenty twenty one team yeah. that actually was the one seed in the AFC and then lost to the Bengals. They enabled the Bengals run here. Uh, but you know, you, you look at the the. The, the Titans, you know, I, I think that you, you know, you, you've got weapons there. You've got some, they're, they're aging weapons, but you still have some weapons there. The Browns, I just want to see if, if Deshaun Watson can get it together because it, it just doesn't seem like it. And, you know, with, I know they went out and they got, uh, they got Kareem Hunt this past week. Uh, a, a lot of people are jumping on, uh, who's their running back? Um, Jerome Ford yeah, out of Cincinnati. Yeah. Uh, people are saying, you know, he, you know, he could be a fill-in here, a good fill-in for Nick Chubb. But without your number one running back, you're going to have to go to the air a little bit more, probably. Uh, and you do have Amari Cooper, uh, who has ten receptions, 127 yards on the year. Um, but you know, it, it, it just hasn't looked like he's been the the same Deshaun Watson. And you know, again, has still hasn't played a full season. You know, he came in about halfway through last year. We're two games into this year, so you got to give him time a little bit. But it still, it, it just, it feels like it just hasn't quite clicked with them back uh, at, at Cleveland. I, I want to see if you know he can, he could take a couple steps toward toward getting back to, and you know he may never be the the Deshaun Watson we saw at at Houston that was, uh, and, and you know on the level of uh, was a level of a really good quarterback. He may not get back to that level, but can he can can he get better? Can he get locked back in and and be a a, a guy that can help the Browns win some football games? Yeah, I think at the end of the day. Uh, the Deshaun discourse is interesting because you know from a uh, fight I nearly got into the other day, uh, I still think it's in him somewhere. I'm not ready to pull the plug on that. Obviously, Cleveland can't with the money they invested. They need that to work. Um, I just find it hard to believe that the dude ended up missing a year and came back as just a nothing quarterback. Yeah, He was one of the five or six best quarterbacks in the league when he was with Houston. Uh, he had incredible numbers. The Texans went to the playoffs multiple times. The last year that the Texans stunk, what well, was his last year in Houston? They were four and twelve. He had something silly like forty five hundred passing yards, forty touchdowns, like eight picks. He's awesome. He's awesome. So I find it hard to believe that just none of that is there and it's just gone forever. But it, what has happened is they he's in a different style of offense. We'll see if any of that changes a little bit now that Chubb's gone. But in Houston, it was you're in the shotgun. It felt kind of college You're in the shotgun a lot. You're throwing a lot. We're going to let you chuck the thing. In Cleveland, it's a balanced offense. Like it, In fact, even run first before Chubb got hurt where – 
we've got this horse running back that can do it all. He's going to touch it 30 times, and then you fill in the gaps for us. And I wonder if he will get better as his volume goes up. I know that seems like an interesting concept, but I just want to—I want to see like five weeks of he's throwing thirty-five times, and you know he's throwing thirty-five times, and he's gonna—he's gonna chuck it. Uh, and I want to see that before I declare him uh, incapable of returning to a good level, because obviously it's been disappointing. And when you get paid that much money, you need to be much better than disappointing. It's the same type of thing Russell Wilson's doing in Denver, and and so I, I get it. I get why the criticism is there, but ultimately I think it's eight, maybe nine games in Cleveland that amounts to half a year of starting at quarterback for them, and that's why I'm willing to give it, if not this entire year, at least half this year. Because they're, they've got a lot invested, and that guy was really, really damn good before all this stuff went down a couple of years ago. So look at some other matchups uh, in the league. Uh, the surprise 2-0 and teams. Commanders have the Bills. That's going to be a tough one. It is in Washington. You've got Atlanta going to Detroit. That's an interesting one. Detroit had a, a disappointing setback last week after the triumphant win against Kansas City. Also, Detroit pretty beat up right now. New Orleans goes to Green Bay. And then you've also got uh, the other surprise to, you know, to Tampa Bay playing Philadelphia on Monday night. So there's four NFC teams that are 2-0 and there. From those grouping of games, TP, what do you like? What do you don't like? I think it's, uh, it's going to be tough for a lot of those teams to continue to be undefeated. I'm not saying they're going to go undefeated the whole way. I've been pleasantly surprised with the Buccaneers. I think Baker's played a lot better than I thought he would. I'm not going to lie. He's been very impressive. And so uh, I think it's a very tough matchup against the Eagles, though. But the Eagles' offense has been looking weird. Like, a lot of people are commenting on how it looks like they're kind of afraid to run him because they, they invested all this money into him. I think that's a valid concern. I think that's probably what's happening right now. Uh, the commander's hosting the Bills. Uh, that could be a close game, but I could also see the Bills just thumping them in the forehead, and that could be – a very quick and pain, painless death. Uh, the Saints and the Packers could be uh, – that one could be a little interesting because I know that uh, the Saints head coach is a defensive guy, and they usually do put on some good defense for their yeah. – it's it's more or less the offensive problem, and that's always been kind of the concern ever since Drew Brees left. It's been the offense. But, um, yeah, I think the Saints could be. I would say they're the more likely – of these teams to continue on, even though I know Detroit is a little banged up, but I kind of did see that uh, a, a setback coming back because Seattle had been embarrassed by the Rams and the Lions had just came off a high emotional win. And I, I think the Falcons are the Falcons are better than I thought they'd be, but I I have my questions though about their offensive limitation. I think Bijan's awesome though. I think he's really exciting to watch. He is just. He is electric, but yeah, I would say that I think the Saints have the best chance because I think their defense is really good. Uh, maybe they'll be able to get the offense figured out because it's very basic to say the least. It's very not not that great of a not. It's more balanced. It's very slow moving. So we shall see. But uh, that's a tough place to win at in Green Bay. So um, yeah, I would say that the Saints have the best chance. Yeah, um, you know, you looking at some of those games that you pointed out. I want to see if the Falcons can keep their their hot streak running. Uh, you saw last week they played a a Green Bay team who may be a little bit better than we thought they could be this year, um, and they had to win on uh, a last minute field goal from Young Way Koo, which was a very uh, uh, a 
a, a common theme last year when went their wins. They had to win on a last second field goal, last minute field goal from Young Way Koo. Um, and so I want to see if they can they can continue this hot streak because this is their first test away from home. They they've played two games at home so far this year. Your first time going on the road. Um, you still get a noon kick, but it, it's it's your first road test of the year for the Falcons. So that's going to be interesting. The Saints. I don't know what to think of the Saints because they Monday that Monday night football game they just wasn't either side wasn't good between them and the Panthers and they it was who could be less bad and the Saints were just a slightly less bad. Um, and so the Packers coming off that loss to the Falcons, can they bounce back at home? Um, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, the, that, that Eagles game, like, like you said, TP, their, their offense kind of feels not there. As it was last year, we saw it not uh, humming along. Yeah, right now. week one against the Patriots, they uh, you know they they went up fourteen nothing early, but uh, it was because the Patriots gave them the ball in a very short field, and then after that, they really didn't score that much uh, on on all. They didn't put up a lot, uh, you know, move the ball at all, really. Um, and so it, it's going to be interesting to go down there against a, a Buccaneers defense, who uh, I think we've talked about. Even though they, you know, we feel like they this year they may t- have taken a step back on offense. Obviously, right now it doesn't feel that way. But coming into the season, you said maybe the Bucks take a step back on offense, but the defense is still really good. Um, and so when the Eagles go up against that defense on Monday night, uh, see see how that de- that uh, that that team that offense looks. Um, but there's some interesting matchups this weekend in in the NFL. Uh, you know, we we talked about it before. I think we talked about it before the break. Um, but I'm I'm weirdly. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's weird about what the Vikings are doing, and, I, and we we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but they, they've got some good weapons. You know, Justin Jefferson. We watched last Thursday night's game. You throw it anywhere within you know a, to a mile of him, he's catching it, and, and we knew that. And so, there. I know they're zero and two. We were just pointing out the two and zero teams, uh, but they're a team that it's just it, it. It feels weird that they're they're not doing well right now and and maybe they pick it up as you guys we mentioned earlier gets that that Chargers team that you know Ryan you said uh, it doesn't you know you don't think Staley's going to make it at least not past this season at at the latest but you know it's it you know it's can the Vikings kind of start riding the ship this week or else uh, that that uh, NFC North could be a, a big uh, a big wide open than more wide open than we thought it was going to be this year. Yeah, I just think with that's an interesting game to bring up too. Usually, two zero and two teams you don't you don't focus too much on, but those teams I expected to be at or near the playoffs, and I thought that maybe the reason they wouldn't would be a coach problem with Staley or or something like that. Uh, he went nine and eight in year one in LA, ten and seven last year. Lost the Jaguars in that playoff game where they looked like they uh, had that one, uh, and then zero and two to start this year. This might be too reactionary. Do you want a? a, a, a I don't have many hot me, takes. Give me a two week hot take. Do you want a hot take? If they lose to the Vikings, I would fire him right then. I'd go ahead and do it, and I know All that right. that would still keep him one game over five hundred for his career. But I think everyone that watches them understands how high they're underperforming. And at 0-3, you could still save that season. You could still end up in the playoffs. But Brandon Saley's not – if they start 0-3, Brandon Saley, he's not going to be the one to bring you back to a 10-win team that makes the playoffs. I, I, would, I, would, I would do it. I would do it. 
Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree because I believe if you do do that and you let's say they they do what the Chargers do and they get up like 21 to like seven and then they lose like 38 to 35 and you fire him right there, you know who you can put at the interim? Kellen Moore. There you go. That's basically an audition for him to keep that job. And you brought him in because it was just like, oh, well, you know, that was the offense's fault. We're going to bring in this really good offense coordinator which he was at Dallas. He was very good. So, you know, we're going to fix this all, and it's just the same problems over and over again. And whenever you get to that point, you realize it's a coaching issue, and I totally agree with you. If they they lose to the Vikings, I'd be fine with it. It wouldn't surprise me at all if I woke up on Monday morning and said that he was fired. But, you know, I think – they they may give him a longer leash than that, but I don't think it'd be yeah. the worst thing in the world because, like I said, you can give Kellen Moore that that basically that audition to uh, keep that head coaching position. I mean, realistically, will they fire him? No, probably not. But I just think that what what when when you were on the cusp of being really really good these last few years nine eight ten and seven. What in 0-3 makes you think the franchise is going in a positive direction? And then what makes you think, based off front office, decision, front office decisions, that it shouldn't be going in a positive direction? There's not a reason. They've been spending money while Herbert's been on his rookie deal. They just signed him to a big-time extension off of his rookie deal. So that cap space is not going to be as, as, as plentiful here moving forward once Herbert starts that deal. And they had an interesting window because Herbert felt like a guy that was ready to take advantage of a uh, uh, of a situation where he was already ahead of most second and third year quarterbacks, and yet here they are, they're they're scraping the barrel there, trying to avoid an zero and three start. Teams that go zero and three hardly ever make the playoffs, and and again, I just don't see why Staley would be the guy to bring him back. Look, the same things will apply. You get a look at Kellen Moore for 14 games. If they go 7-7, seven and seven, you don't retain him. Fine, whatever. That will still be an attractive job to people. That Getting to work with Justin Herbert for the next 10 years will be attractive to anyone that you might want out there. You will probably be the most attractive job on the market unless something crazy happens. So you get your look at your young guy that, that might end up being an NFL head coach. If he doesn't save you and bring you back to the playoffs, then you look at somebody else that will want to work with Herbert. I don't think that that's rocket science. And then if you're Minnesota, Kevin O'Connell gave you a great first year. They won a lot of close games last year. And I, I think that they will solve some of their issues by bringing in Cam Akers because they have not been able to run the ball whatsoever with Alexander Mattinson. I think going back to a two-running back system, it will behoove them to do that. But you know what's the problem for Minnesota? It's not the coach. It's the wide receiver. It's the fact that if they keep losing – Justin Jefferson, I'm telling you, I can already see it coming. He's going to ask out of there. He does not seem like he's – it already seems like there's some murmurs of him not being happy. And you know what I hate? I hate when wide receivers are not happy because they speak out the loudest and they change the teams the most across top guys. You think about elite wide receivers in the league, I can tell you way too many people that at the height of their powers went to other teams. You want to talk about Terrell Owens back in the day. You want to talk about Randy Moss back in the day. You want to talk about Stephon Diggs who left – that very organization a couple years who's a top five or ten receiver in the league the reality is these guys if they ask out they will be out and they will absolutely be loud enough until you cannot ignore it anymore and so the good news is wide receivers you can find a lot of them uh the rams keep finding random wide receivers to look like top 10 guys in the league uh and and so yay for sean mcveigh i guess but the reality is is that that is a position unlike quarterback where at the height of your powers and the middle of your prime if you ask out you will get out and you can still be incredibly productive for somebody else 
Here's some stats for you going into this weekend of the NFL. Six, since this, the, all these are since 1990 when the league last expanded. 64% of teams have uh, to, that started 2-0 and have made the playoffs. Okay, only, 64%. Only 64. Team. 42% of teams to start 1-1 one and one have made the playoffs. Okay. And then 11% of teams that have started 0-2 have made the playoffs. But a team that has started 0-2 has made the playoffs in seven of the last ten seasons. Okay. So returns have been much better as of late if you're 0-2. And, again, the Chargers would certainly qualify as somebody. If you look at the 0-2 teams, there's still some teams I think could make it. Not in the NFC, except for maybe Minnesota. I would give Minnesota that. In the AFC, L.A., Cincinnati and New England, all 0-2 that seem competent enough to get to nine, maybe ten wins and still make a playoff. Last point I want to make, and we're going to run out of time this hour, uh, just my thoughts on some of those 2-0 teams, was the surprise 2-0 NFC teams of which you said only about 62, 62%, 65%, some of those uh, make the playoffs out of 2-0. 64. 64%, whatever number I don't pick. Uh, <laughs> the Falcons – or Saints, I think, will still win the NFC South. I don't think Tampa's changed that trajectory enough. If they somehow beat Philadelphia, then we'll have a different conversation. So I think one of those will make it. I'm not sure about Washington. I think that they could do well if New York has a come-apart year, if Saquon continues to be banged up, if Daniel Jones, as I think he is, is just an average quarterback and is not somebody that's going to incredibly enhance your experience. Washington, maybe. But I think more likely it's just one of those NFC South teams has to make it, so there's one. You know, I, I think with Tampa, the interesting thing I've seen is that Baker has avoided some pressure. The offensive line's kind of been still not much better than last year, a little more acceptable. I think the difference is, and this is the only thing I would ever say that is somewhat critical of Tom Brady, because – I think you and me, Brooks, would gush over him for way too long. We'd have a lot of people turn us off. I've already, um, I've, I've already uh, entered a contest to go to the Patriots Hall of Fame ceremony next summer. As you should. At age 45, Tom Brady finally decided he was not willing to hang in there and hang in the pocket and let the play develop all the way out. That was the only thing that truly aged him at the end. Arm was still fine. Accuracy was still fine. He almost broke the record in the middle last year for not throwing an interception amongst uh, consecutive pass attempts. as a record Jared Goff almost got to here recently, too. It was not any of that. It was, I'm 45, my offensive line's not good, I'm just not hanging in there if I don't have to. Because you would see it. You'd see when he got protected – some stuff would work out. You'd see these weird drops from Evans. It was one of those things where if it, it could go wrong, it did go wrong with the offense. The offense was not good last year. It was mid-20s. There, You say be as good as last year, there's actually an incredibly low bar to meet there uh, because they were only good in fourth quarters. They were only good with the backup against the wall because they could tire out defensive pass rushes with no huddle, up-tempo, two-minute drills. It was really something. And so what I'm seeing is that Mayfield has just been able to avoid some more of those sacks and hang in there a little bit longer. And that doesn't you know, make him better or anything like that, but what that offense needs out of that position, because the line is not great, it needs somebody to make something out of nothing or to at least be able to, to fight through it and, and, and hang in there an extra second, even when <laughs> big uglies are running at you. 
And so I think that comes crashing down against Philly because Philly's defensive line is excellent. I'm very concerned that Baker's going to be looking up at the sky more than he's actually connecting down the field. Uh, but that's been the thing with them the first two weeks is new offensive coordinator and a new ability to be able to do more creative things to give the quarterback more time, extend the play, that sort of thing. I think that's why Tampa's 2-0. I still think ultimately their offensive line is not good enough to go all season long like that. Uh, but, again, 8 of 11 returning starters off the Super Bowl defense. It's not a surprise that the defense has been competent so far. I do think that part of it will stay competent. I just think that maybe New Orleans from a talent standpoint or Atlanta just knowing who they are in their system, in their identity, and knowing that they got a heck of a running back in B. John Robinson will probably win out at the end of the day. We are out of time for hour number two, but stay tuned. When we start hour number three, Brian Matthews will join us. He will talk all things Auburn, Texas A&M, give us some injury updates and more for the Tigers as they get set for their SEC opener in College Station. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm or the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday afternoon, and we are now pleased to go to our orthopedic clinic phone line, and we welcome on Brian Matthews of Auburn Rivals joining us today in the 5 o'clock hour. Brian, as always, the time is greatly appreciated. How are things in your world? Oh, they're going great. Appreciate you having me in. Absolutely. So we're through three weeks of the season now before we look at Texas A&M. Brian, obviously the team is 3-0 as expected, but as it's played out, uh, how has the expectations versus reality of this team been in the first three weeks? Well, I would say they got done what they needed to get done. That was start 3-0 before they got to this really tough stretch, you know, with A&M, Georgia at home, back on the road at LSU, home against, you know, a, a top 25 team in Ole Miss, so uh, it gets much, much tougher now. I think we'll learn a lot more about the team over the next month and who exactly they are. I saw a lot of questions about that, but um, I think they got the job done, which is the most important thing. And, Brian, when we looked at the game planning compared from the week against Cal to the week 
against Sanford. We saw a shift in what Auburn was trying to do in terms of the passing game, throwing around a lot more against Sanford. I know that there was a lot of offensive questions post the Cal game. Do you feel like Auburn – I know we can't fully answer those questions until we see them in SEC play, but do you think they had the right mindset against Sanford to try to answer some of those questions and get more comfortable? I think they needed to get better in the passing game. I think that's an area they need to improve, and uh, they'll certainly be tested against a you know a more talented team uh, this week. Um, but I still don't think we know exactly who this offense is. You know, those those really talented running backs really haven't um, cut loose yet, and we really haven't seen um, Jarquez or Demari or any of those guys really have uh, those big games. I think they're capable of having. Uh, so we'll see if that can happen this week, and that'd be huge if they could. Uh, but I still don't think we know exactly what this offense is going to be yet. Brian, you kind of answered the question uh, there, but uh, uh, diagnose the, the run game for this Auburn team as we head into this Texas A&M game. Well, I don't know if this is right, but I think somebody told me Auburn's in the top two or three in the conference in rushing, like overall, which shocked the heck out of me. Uh, I actually should have checked that, to be honest with you. But, uh, and, you know, I guess Peyton Thorne deserves a lot of credit for that, right? Because he's done a, a terrific job uh, running the ball, uh, you know, last weekend. But um, uh, I, I would say, no, they're, yeah, they're first in the SEC, which, which shocks me. I just I can't believe that stat because uh, I don't really think the running backs have got it going yet. But I guess I need to put, put that in context of, uh, you know, it's not necessarily always about running, running backs anymore. It's about those high-power passing offenses. But um, – I still think there's more that Auburn can do in the running game. I still think that, um, you know, Jarquez and Damari and really all of them are capable of doing big things, you know. Uh, I just haven't seen that yet, and I'm, I'm interested to see if that's going to change or if, um, you know, it's going to be what we've sort of seen with them spreading it out a little bit and nobody getting over 40 or 50 yards. We'll see. So, and um... – what does the Auburn defense need to do against Texas A&M to slow down that offense? Because we've seen them be really good this year, and uh, even in their loss, they put up 33 points. Well, so what would you like to see from the Auburn defense to try to slow down that Texas A&M offense? Biggest thing is pressure in that quarterback, right? He's, he's been terrific so far. Um, having Jalen McLeod healthy and ready to go, and I think he will be, will be really important this week. They can get Nehemiah Pritchett back. That would be huge, too. You know, and have those guys who can cover one on one those really talented receivers they have, and free up a dude to to rush that passer. Because I, I don't think Auburn can line up with four guys. You know, Jalen McLeod can make some plays, but I don't think most of the time they can just line up with four guys and get a good enough pass rush. They're going to have to bring uh, you know more people and do different things, um, and that puts a lot of pressure on your secondary to perform really well. So. Um, uh, that's what they got to do, and then uh, on top of that, they just got to try to keep uh, A&M from getting those big plays and opening up a lead early and get the crowd into it. So I would say don't let a, a 15 or 20-yard reception turn into a you know a 50 or 60-yard touchdown. Talking to Brian Matthews of Auburn Rivals today on Sports Call. And Brian, I noticed that for Auburn Rivals earlier today, there was a story up about Keldrick Falk on that defensive line and, and just coming off a good game here and, and really a good start to his season. What's a realistic role and opportunity for him a part of trying to pressure the quarterback on Saturday? You know, I think he's one guy that has that ability, uh, you know, as a, a big, powerful defensive end to get off the, the ball and make plays. I don't know if he's advanced enough in his um, you know, time in college to do that against the Texas A&M offensive line, we'll see. But he's a guy that's going to get better as the season goes on and 
much better as his career goes on, and he will be a really good pass rusher, I think, for Auburn in the future, and a guy who can really disrupt an offense and get in the backfield and make those type of plays. But, you know, I, I just think it's still a learning process, and at some point we're going to see him start to make more plays, right? We're going to go, oh, there he is, you know. And uh, I don't know if that's coming this week or, or maybe in a couple of weeks we'll see, but um, he certainly has the talent to be a, a really good defensive lineman for Auburn over the next three years. Brian, I want to talk about uh, the, the, the the counterparts of the Auburn defense over on the Texas A&M side of things. What can we expect to see from that Texas A&M defense going up against the Auburn offense on Saturday? Well, they got talent. Um, you know, if you watch that Miami game, their secondary really struggled. Um, you know, but I, I think Miami uh, did some things maybe they weren't expecting. And I'm sure, you know, sometimes when you play games like that, your team like Texas A&M or, or a quality, talented team, you have a game like that, then you make the corrections and you short things up and you become a much better team. So we'll see how much better they've gotten, uh, you know, since that trip, uh, you know, down to South Florida. But um, uh, certainly very talented across the board. Um, got some good pass rushers up, up front. Uh, a really talented uh, defensive line. In a secondary, that's a little questionable right now. And we'll see if, if um, they've approved and we'll see if Auburn can take advantage of that. You spoke about that Texas A&M defensive line, and those guys are some of the um, – they were very highly recruited, and they've yep. been well this uh, this season. How do you expect the um, Auburn O-line to hold up against that uh, talented defensive line? Because mm-hmm. Miami, whenever they were able to get um, good protection, they had all day to throw, and that's whenever you saw that uh, offense really start to click. So do you expect Auburn's offensive line to be able to contain that uh, Aggie defensive line? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's going to be a big question mark for Auburn, right? I, I wouldn't expect them to be perfect. I, I think uh, Texas A&M is going to make some plays. You know, they're going to put Auburn in some bad situations. Uh, I don't think this offensive line has is, is shown that they're able to line up against a, an SEC caliber, you know, top defensive line and just bull, bully them right now. You know, we couldn't, we haven't seen that against, um, you know, Sanford. I don't think we're going to see it this week. But I do think that Auburn's offensive line can get better, and I think they can do th- some things and. Um, uh, you know, I, I do think Auburn offensively has held back some things. Have been kind of vanilla, so uh, maybe we'll see them, um, you know, break out of a few things uh, this weekend and and show up a little bit more than we, than maybe people are expecting. We know Auburn has already had some injuries in the first three games, and, and they yep. certainly suffered some against Sanford. So I know guys like Xavier Miller and Cam Stutz on the offensive line. You had. Uh, Kaufman and Pritchett banged up defensively. Uh, Luke Deal went down the Sanford game. Update us on some of those guys, Brian, ahead of this A&M game and their likelihood of playing. I think there's a good chance that those guys will be back, especially Kaufman, uh, the two offensive linemen, um, Jalen McLeod there uh, as pass rusher. Uh, Jocklis Hunter should be fine. I think Nehemiah is going to be back. We'll see how he, he does in the in the warm-ups. Um, but <sighs> You know, there's bound to be one or two guys that can't play or get banged up again. But I think other than Keontae and um, uh, Austin, the linebacker, I think everybody else is either going to be good to go or really, really close. What have you thought about A&M's offense so far this year? I know we already talked a little bit about it and Auburn's role in trying to defend them, but a lot was made in the preseason about the Petrino aspect of it going to A&M. Do you find this to be a harder offense to defend so far this year, or is it just too early to tell yet? Well, they certainly are more balanced and, and certainly capable of throwing the ball a lot better than they were, I thought, a year ago, right? They don't. 
thought they were really predictable and um, just look um, kind of anemic in, in many ways. But some of that can be the quarterback and the guy they got now is um, putting up some really good numbers. So um, I, I do think they're improved there. And I, I do think it's going to be interesting how they match up against what I think is an improving and pretty good Auburn defense too. So I think that's that's going to be a really good matchup. I think for Auburn to come out of there with a win, you know, that they can't get in the shootout. That defense is going to have to make some plays and keep Auburn in the game and hope the offense can come around. And Brian, what do you think about this stretch for the Tigers? Because obviously this this next four-game stretch minus the Alabama game at the end really contains all the most talented and best teams on Auburn's schedule. Uh, when you look at uh, Georgia next week, you got the bye, but then at LSU and host Ole Miss. Uh, I mean, kind of grayed out just how di- difficult this stretch is and, and how important this A&M game might be as the only non-ranked opponent that Auburn has in these next four or so weeks. I give it a 10 out of 10. I mean, sure. I, I don't know that many teams have a stretch like this in their entire season. So uh, this is, you know, find out time, right? And um, I think Auburn's going to find out a lot about themselves. And I think the most important thing for them is just to keep their heads up, to handle whatever adversity comes along, and to hopefully, I know you can't control it, but to stay as healthy as possible. Because they've got an opportunity, whatever happens over the next five weeks, there's an off weekend there in the next four games. The next four and five games after that are all winnable. That includes the Iron Bowl at home. So, um, you know, you just want to get at, get through that with uh, a belief in yourself and, and what you're doing and that you can still have a successful season no matter what happens. And maybe Auburn, you know, gets to this four-game stretch with two or three wins. Who knows? Um, but even if they go up for four, there's still an opportunity to have a really good season as long as everybody doesn't get down on them and they don't get down on themselves. We've talked some offense, we've talked some defense, Brian, but we'll close with this. What ultimately is the most important key to the game for the Tigers if they want to get uh, yet another road win in College Station where they've actually had a lot of success since joining the league? I mean, it's the same thing, right? You hear, you've heard from time, you know, when I started, but I think specifically for this game, don't let Texas A&M get the big plays on offense. Don't turn the ball over. Right, you know, or, or you had seven turnovers, something like that, in the last two games. You got to, you got to stop that right now. You cannot win on the road in the SEC if you turn the ball over. So, I think those are the two biggest things for Auburn. Um, and, and you know, if they can do that and stay in the game in the fourth quarter, maybe something good will happen. He's Brian Matthews of Auburn Rivals today on Sports Call. Brian, as always, the time's greatly appreciated. What do you and the crew at Auburn Rivals have in the coming days, and of course, the coverage of the game this weekend. Yeah, we'll just uh, roll out a couple more stories and some recruiting and then uh, be ready to roll on, uh, you know, I guess Saturday morning we'll get started at Texas A&M. So looking forward to covering another big SEC game. Brian Matthews of Auburn Rivals today on Sports Call. Brian, as always, time's greatly appreciated. Uh, wish uh, travel safe going out to, to College Station, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Hey, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. That is Brian Matthews today on Sports Call. Always appreciate Brian making some time out of his busy schedule to join us on the show. Good insight there on the Tigers. And, uh, again, definitely wanted to ask of that injury question because I know several Tigers beat up. We know that happens in football. We know that starts to happen just a game or two in, but some key Tigers that are trying to make sure that they're healthy enough to play on Saturday. We're going to take our next time out. Back with more Sports Call right after this.
We need a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday edition of the show. Appreciate Brian Matthews of Auburn Rivals for joining us on the other side of that break. If you missed that or if you missed anything at all, go and check out the Sports Call podcast brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever missed Sports Call live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast. And join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk, Coca-Cola Taste the Feeling. Of course, you can find the Sports Call podcast on SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and the Tiger Communications app. All right, so starting to get towards the end of this Thursday show, we continue to talk some college football now some Auburn and Texas A&M. Those injury part of it is going to be interesting with the Auburn offensive line. Again, there's multiple hurdles to clear. One is to actually be on the field, but then also how close to normal are you when you're on the field. Texas A&M does have a lot of talent up front. I don't think that that's the bad part of their defense. I still think it's hard to move these big guys around from time to time, and uh, they certainly have a couple guys that can cause havoc uh, in the defensive or in the backfield, excuse me. Um, I believe it was Shamar Jackson or Shamar Turner yes, uh, that we were talking about earlier that has three sacks already on the year, five-star player out of the 21 class. He's somebody to to look out for. Uh, And overall for Auburn, you know, Brian was talking about being a little surprised that they're first in the SEC in rushing. It is surprising that that's what leads the the league in rushing. Is I think it's like 203 yards a game or something like that. You look around the rest of the SEC, it becomes a little less surprising when you understand that Georgia doesn't have like one back that they rely on that because they've had injuries, they've had multiple backs. When Ole Miss, Quinshaw Junkins has not been running the ball effectively whatsoever, that's someone you would absolutely expect to be rushing for like 300 yards a game. Not been doing it this year. Arkansas tried to run more of the Rocket Sanders, but that's – oh, I could go on a side about Mississippi State and Arkansas changing their styles of offense. Uh, you, the other teams have struggled. The teams that you thought would run the ball well have struggled. So, yes, it does not feel like Auburn should lead the league in rushing, yet they've had their moments. I don't think it's been overly disappointing. I think the fumbles were disappointing against Cal, and I think the Sanford game as a whole, non-quarterback-wise, was, was disappointing, but – I still think there's a lot of good in there, and I still expect them to to need to churn out yards against a m yeah absolutely it's uh it is a little surprising, and like you said uh those teams that we expected to run the ball haven't been running the ball well, and Rocket Sanders is dinged up right now, and they go down to l s u so that's pretty bad timing that's not gonna be good no it won't be and uh mississippi state's just a mess that's just uh that's bad and you know so but yeah it's you gotta look at it this way though i mean like you know we we've said that auburn has been pretty good to start the year you know the cow game was you know 
you were able to get the win, but it wasn't the way that you'd want it, but you still got the win. At the end of the day, though, you know, Auburn's still leading the SEC in rushing, and so you're going to need a it's going to be a big test, though, against Texas A&M because it's the best defense you've faced all year, not even close. So, And like you mentioned, those big guys up front for uh, Texas A&M, you know, Shamar Turner, Walter Nolan, all those guys are – they will probably be high NFL draft picks whenever it's all said and done. So if you want to – you know, if you want to be – a big-time contender in the SEC, it starts whenever you can beat teams like Texas A&M who are very talented and all. And I'm not saying, you know, Auburn's going to contend for the SEC championship this year, but it can be a good start. It can be just a slow climb. It can be a slow building block towards maybe next year, but it all starts on Saturday in College Station. Auburn and A&M is the second-best game of the weekend in the SEC. There's really not a lot that jumps out. Uh, Georgia plays UAB, Kentucky plays Vanderbilt, and something that is just going to be hard to watch, to be honest with you. Unless you – maybe there's chaos. I mean, may, maybe maybe you just see turnovers and weird things happen. Tennessee plays UTSA, you know, don't really care. Arkansas, LSU, just is not the Arkansas I wanted to see this year. I'll get back to them in a minute. Florida plays Charlotte. Uh, congrats on the dub. Missouri and Memphis is mildly appealing. Memphis is 3-0. Missouri's only favored by 6.5. Brady Cook has an injury problem uh, stemming from the end of the Kansas State game. So Missouri, it would be the most Missouri thing ever if they turned around and lost to Memphis on their home field after beating K-State. Yeah? Uh, fun fact, that's not on their home field. Oh, that, oh that's in uh, St. Louis, yeah, isn't it? They're, gonna, they're, yeah. re, they're rising up in the dome they're the for a little neutral side yeah. since Memphis is so so close anyway. Okay. Well, good for them. Perfect opportunity to lose. Uh, Mississippi <laughs> State playing South Carolina. Again, South Carolina might end up record-wise having a decent year. They showed some teeth in the first half against Georgia. But right now, looking at a 1-2 and two SEC team is not very appealing. They played Mississippi State, who got uh, destroyed by LSU. The loser of that game, I'm going to have a very low opinion of. I'll put it that way by the end of that one. So there's not a whole lot there. Again, I, Arkansas is disappointing to me. I, I, I don't know if now is the proper time to have the conversation, but I think it was a bad idea to, to uh, change the style of offense. K.J. Jefferson is always going to function better in a spread where he can throw and run. He's completely adequate at both. He's not elite at either, but he's better than average at both. Don't limit him to just being a thrower or don't limit yourself to being more confined and being more pro-style. That's not what Arkansas needed to be. That was a mistake, and I think that's going to hurt their their ceiling this year. Uh, so, LSU got back on the right track last week. The only game that's better is that Alabama and Ole Miss game, and that's the 2-30 game. By the way, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the CBS schedule looks like all year long, what they've got going on in Big Ten, all that sort of thing. Did you know that it is not Brad Nestler and Gary Danielson doing that game? I was wondering if they were not going to be doing not. it. They're doing Penn State Iowa at seven o'clock on CBS. They're going to watch seventeen to ten. Okay, <laughs> they are not doing it's. It's uh, Tom McCarthy, I think, um, and and Ross Tucker and somebody else that's that's doing that game. And so I just wanted to throw that out there because I'm going to double-check things for week five. I, if they're doing that, if there's another double-header, I know some people would not want to hear Gary Danielson's 
do the Auburn game at 2.30, and I think it's possible that that won't happen. I'm double-checking right now to see if there's a late CBS game, and it does not look like there is, so never mind. I think they'll be doing the, the 2.30 Auburn-Georgia game. But that is apparently something that is not necessarily going to happen this year. If, if it's close, since they're going to have Big Ten games and stuff next year, they're going to send a team to the Big Ten game. So Alabama Ole Miss is not – uh, I almost said Vern. Uh, it, it's not uh, Gary and Brad. And did you see where A Team uh, ESPN is going to be this week? Chris Feller, Kirk Herb Street. I did not actually. It's going to be in the Bayou, Arkansas and LSU. Really? Yeah. They're you, you've, the, you've like, mentioned the this fifteenth best game of the weekend. That's where they are. You've mentioned this before, but it's they're getting ready for the big yeah, SEC contract coming up. CBS is doing the same thing. They're getting ready for the Big Ten contract. They're Gosh, that's hard to yeah. justify. Because Tess- Joe Tessitore is doing that Oregon-Colorado game, which is the 230 ABC game, and then McDonough and um, McElroy? McElroy are doing the Florida State-Clemson game at 11. I mean, and also it's odd times. Like, to be fair, I don't know if Fowler Herb Because Fowler Herb Street can't do an 11 a.m. game if, that's, if that's not where they are. Yeah. 230 is tough, geographically speaking. And the the best games on at night are not on their networks because Oregon State, Washington State's on Fox, and obviously the Ohio State Notre Dame game is NBC, and Iowa Penn State's on CBS. You see the danger uh, of not diversifying your assets. your assets enough. They've got ACC and SEC. To be fair, I mean they could have chosen in future years to make the Florida State Clemson game more of a primetime matchup, but. Yeah, you know that's uh, that's a game. I'll I'll monitor it, but I'm not planning on watching much of it. But all of the of these big games, and I want to I want to talk. Uh, I want to talk SEC, but TP, I, I owe it to you to talk about Ohio State Notre Dame because it is a top ten game, and I know how you feel about the Buckeyes. Uh, how what's your temperature of that game? How are you feeling about it? I feel. I feel better than a lot of people do because a lot of people are freaking out about it. But I've done a, I've watched a good amount of Notre Dame this year, and I've watched a lot of Ohio State. I can see the improvements in Ohio State, and I'm not saying it's only a cakewalk because Notre Dame's pretty good this year. This is one of their better teams. They got a really good quarterback. I think the big problem though comes, and it showed in the NC State game, is is on the outside on both ways. Their wide receivers have trouble with separation. Sam Hartman's going to get it there, but it's a problem of if they can get that separation and take the top off. And also their cornerbacks also struggle against the NC State receivers. And so Ohio State's got the Marvin best. Harrison. Yeah, they got yeah. Marvin Harrison and Mecca. So that's going to be a big problem for them. And I, I have a feeling that Notre Dame's going to come in there with kind of a uh, – they're going to try to do what Michigan's done the past two years and probably try to run it down the throat. But I'm I can't confirm that. I just feel like that's what it's going to be like because they have that big old running back, and he's a he's really good Estimate, too. Yeah. Estimate he's really good too. But I think it's going to be close. I think uh, I think Ohio State will win by about ten. I think they'll win going away. I just um, I think Notre Dame, like I said, I think they're good, but I don't think they have that great of an offense at the end. They do have a great tackle. He's going to go in the top ten. But overall, though, I think that. Besides Hartman and Estime is really good, I, I think they're going to struggle on the outside with receivers. And that's what we saw with Michigan last year was they were able to take the top off with the pass because uh, Corum was hurt. So I think they'll have trouble with that. that. That one's such a big one. I know it falls out of the SEC, obviously, but that's a top ten matchup. That's the two, I mean, two huge brands, two huge programs. It 
looks like Notre Dame has gained positive traction. I kind of had an inkling in the – and to be fair, they still got played out. They might end up being disappointing. But I had an inkling coming in the year that they were going to actually have a good season and, and maybe even for the first time in like dozens of years be a little undervalued because of the Hartman piece. I still think they're beating one of Notre Dame Clem or excuse me Ohio State Clemson or USC, and and now you could argue that the obvious one would be Clemson there, but you know Hartman is just so interesting because he had success at Wake Forest that is really hard to accomplish, and yet he goes to a better team with better stuff, and then still plays half the the ACC. And plays half those games, so he gets to do it against teams he's already done it against. But then he gets the opportunity to be in two to three to four really, really big games, and that's why I always liked him as my dark horse Heisman this year. And and he could have two picks in this game, Ohio State win. We can we forget about that. We also could talk about how there are so many guys that you would feel comfortable with saying could have make a Heisman run so far this year. I mean, there is so much talent at the quarterback position. The you know, want to know one of the problems why the SEC is having some issues? A lot of that talent exists outside of the SEC. The SEC might have really great receivers or great DBs, great linemen, whatever. They they have plenty of all that, but the quarterback position in the SEC is not proven to be awesome. Whereas the Pac-12 has four to five guys that are just lighting the world on fire. And you say some of that, oh, they're not playing defenses and that sort of thing, and there's a hint of truth in that. But as we've seen with these SEC teams losing to out-of-conference teams, that there's clearly not the wide gap of physicality there that existed five, ten years ago. But all these quarterbacks have been fascinating to watch. And outside of that, it's like, well – what if McCord still ends up having a big year, right? I mean, he's the Ohio State quarterback. You usually pencil them in top seven Heisman voting, right? Top ten. Uh, and, and he clearly outplayed what was Devin Brown. Was that the other kid? Yeah. was wearing number 30-something and giving me the heebie-jeebies for wearing that uh, at quarterback. Uh, so what if McCord goes and throws for 350 on Saturday against a top ten team? Uh, we talked about Sam Hartman and that uh, sort of thing. Drake May's still really good. He's nowhere near the Heisman conversation right now because he's just playing normal human football. Uh, and he's he's nowhere near, even though he might be the second quarterback taken still in the draft. So the Heisman race is going to be really interesting when we get through this year. There's still people still like McCarthy and Michigan. who They've just not played anybody. So, I mean, he's still really good. But, um, you know, he will be under consideration if they ever start opening it up. There are so many guys outside of the league, outside of the SEC, that at the quarterback position are just awesome. By the way, the guy that waltzed right into Tuscaloosa three for three fifty, Quinn Ewers. I mean, again, it goes on and on. I could bore you. I could finish the show just naming you good quarterbacks in college football. But I think that that is what is so interesting about that Notre Dame Ohio State game is that Hartman is someone that's proven been in the 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 league a while. I say the league like the NFL. Notre Dame is its own league because they're independent. Uh, has been in college football for a while versus McCord, who they made have a race against unproven to a degree, but still you have a certain level of trust in Ohio State guy that they're just going to be a baseline of at least solid, but likely they're going to be good to very good. Uh, that's, a, that's a huge game. I want to talk one more minute about 
some the, the the biggest SEC game of the weekend, which is Bama Ole Miss, and then I want to get uh, last thoughts TPU on uh, on Auburn and and A and M for the day. The Bama Ole Miss part. Talk about quarterback play and talk about quarterback doubts. <laughs> the other side of the Heisman race, the quarterback conversation around Alabama and having Milrow in there. I think that's the right move based on what we've seen. There's no way you can start Buckner. Buckner's not a Power Five quarterback, and that's I, I've, I've made a final decision that may, maybe he could be a Conference USA quarterback. Hold out judgment for that, but heck, he was losing to Marshall at Notre Dame, so. I guess Marshall's in the Sun Belt now, but you you understand. So what I want to see Alabama will miss, guys, I want to see if they run Milrow more, designed run. That's not something Alabama typically does. They did a little bit with Jalen Hurts. They knew they had to. Do Does Tommy Reese change who he is as a play caller and, and do some Milrow design stuff? Because if they drop back in base offense, normal offense – there's going to be some good. I still think Milrow is going to have some big plays, but there's going to be some bad mix in there too. Do they minimize what they're trying to ask him to do offensively? And versus Ole Miss, who Jackson Darts looked pretty good start of the year. He's needed to. They've not run the ball incredibly well. Can they all of a sudden run it well against Alabama? You know, can they all of a sudden, after not running on the likes of Tulane, all of a sudden be able to make hay there? I'm not sure that that happens either. So this feels like it's going to be on Dart again to do what Ewers did, throw the ball down the field and confuse Bama's secondary. What do you see? What do you guys see as being the biggest uh, biggest matchup here? And do you guys think that Milrow will end up running the ball more? Should he run the ball more? Well, you, you talked about Ole Miss not being able to run the ball as as well as we thought. Jackson Dart is listed as the best runner on ESPN.com. 32 carries, 213 yards, and two touchdowns as a rusher. Um, and then, like you said, at quarter at the just throwing the ball, 852 yards so far, seven touchdowns, and only one interception on the year through three games. Um, I, I think you know when you when you look at this the quarterback situation in Alabama. I, I knew you know we we came into the year trying to figure out who was going to be. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I thought Tyler Buckner was going to be a little bit better than, than what he, he showed. He was not. Um, and so I, I think that Nick Saban uh, and that staff knew, you know, you, you uh, knew what their quarterback decision was going to be before they left Tampa Stadium on on Saturday, last Saturday. Uh, just the fact that they didn't wait uh, till the end of the week, to the end of this week, to say, hey, Jalen Milrow is starting. It was the first of this week that said, Jalen Milrow is our starting quarterback. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I don't know if, if, if Reese changes what he is as a play caller uh, because that's why Nick Saban brought him in uh, was for his style of offense. Uh, I do think, though, that they're going to they, – they have a little bit more um, more designed runs for, for Milrow because, you know, uh, when we saw him against in that Texas game – uh, it looked like you know. It felt like he was getting you know getting out of the pocket, trying to create with his legs, trying to create with his legs a lot, and that's what got him into some trouble. Um, and, and after you know, if there, his one read wasn't there, he's trying to get out and make a play. And so I, I feel like there there's going to be a little bit more in 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 that design run play because he's got he's got some wheels. Um, we still don't you know fully know what this Ole Miss defense is is going to look like um, with. Uh, 
with the, the, the new DC, who is uh, another former grandmother's assistant. Um, and it's, it's just, this game, it, it intrigues me because I can very much see Ole Miss coming out here and, you know, getting, finally Lane Kiffin getting the win. The, the win that is, you know, that gotten away from him for beating, uh, which is beating Nick Saban. Um, but I could also uh, and see it going in the, the way of Alabama coming out there saying this is what we're going to do and uh, squeaking it out and getting a win and, and keeping it in Lane Kiffin from beating Nick Saban again. I, it's just this game is such a wild card game that I, you just, I just don't know what to think about it. You know, it, it's it's. It, it's it's intriguing. It's it's like an animal in and of itself in the world of college football. Yeah, I think you brought up a really good point there, and that I was going to discuss is that Ole Miss's defense coordinator is Pete Golden, and he was there at Alabama for a couple of years, so he probably has a good grasp of what Jalen Milrow can and can't do, I feel like. So I think that's a really underrated aspect of this. And I've seen this happen with Alabama plenty of times where we say, oh, they're going to – they're gonna fall here. They you know they they have a good chance of losing, and and then they go out there and they win by thirty five. And I don't know if it's gonna be like that this year because it just feels different. But I think it's a really interesting game, and I think it's gonna come down to the point of it always feels like if you can run the ball on Bama, you can beat Bama. Texas was able to do that pretty well. Quinn was able to uh, use his legs. They did a lot better than I thought they'd be able to. So I think it's going to come down to if Ole Miss can be able to run the ball in Alabama, they have a really good chance. But I'm really interested to see how Milrow does against his form, or Alabama's former defense coordinator, and Pete Golding, because I think that could be really interesting to see how that all plays out. Again, Golding did not do a good job at Alabama. So far, Ole Miss playing a little bit better defensively, too, that – uh, than they have in years past. Again, level competition, not playing Michael Pratt, who was Tulane starter. Some factors go into that. But so far, they're, they're certainly not looking like they were when Kiffin first got there, uh, and that had been a steady progress since then. I just think that this game is so meaningful uh, towards the end, towards the outcome of this year, uh, maybe even bigger than, than this year. If not now, then when? for Ole Miss and Kiffin to beat Alabama and Nick Saban. Alabama's not here, – here's what we know. We don't know how these next nine are going to go. Next – next, yeah, next nine games. We don't know how they're going to go. But we know that right now there's about as much doubt around Alabama than there's been since 2007. We do know that. And – we know that their quarterback situation is as bad of a place as it's been since Nick Saban's been there. We know that they have lost to a non-conference team on their home field for the first time, I think, since 07. We know that their offensive line has been questionable, which has been rare. We know that the penalties around Alabama have continued to exist beyond last year to a point where they're still as bad as they've been in these 15 years. So we know these things. We also know that Lane Kiffin got a big big raise to stay at Ole Miss. We know that Jackson Dart won a quarterback competition that has ended in him playing really good football to start this year. And we know that Lane Kiffin, while he respects, pokes some fun, but respects Nick Saban, we know that he wants this win. This is something that Ole Miss can do. The current Auburn coach did it in Tuscaloosa. And so 
this is their moment. They have to do this now. Uh, not that because Saban's going to be around five more years, seven more years, whatever, and go back into dominance and blah, blah, blah. I don't know how much longer Nick's going to be around. And I, and I don't know what their situation will be next year when they bring in a five-star quarterback. I think his name's Julian Sayan or something like that. I, I, I don't know what, will, what this will mean to Alabama and what will be the last years or year or whatever Nick Saban. But I do know for Ole Miss, if they don't do this now – I don't know when they're going to do this because they have all the boxes checked. Alabama's limping around right now. Ole Miss uh, has been able to survive and, and even thrive in some instances in some early tests. And all the banter on social media from Kiffin, people breaking down his body language at press conferences, everything like that, and how his mannerisms look like Saban's now. Was he mocking him? Was he not? Whatever. That this is they they need to do this now, uh, and, and if they don't, then I I don't see Saban or I don't see Kiffin beating Saban. That they he might be at Ole Miss ten years and and he'll beat Alabama eventually when Saban's not there. But th- this is their opportunity to do that, and it's a really big moment. And look, if Bama suffers and on the Bama side of things, they suffer a second loss now, four games in, and now all of a sudden to a West team where they have no control of their destiny now. Yeah, th- this could be this could be the end. I mean, it, it could go to that that level. I'm not saying it will. I'm never bold in that. I'm going to be the last one to ever be able to recognize that. I will I will admit to that. Um, I I just am not good at at, at figuring out the fall of greatness. But uh, if they lose to Ole Miss and Milrow looks bad, well, it really doesn't matter how they look. If they lose to Ole Miss, there's a can of worms that's being opened. The where they're going to have probably their worst year at least since 2010 when they went 10 and three, and maybe their worst year since 07. And what does that look like for an early 70s Saban and all the issues around that NIL transfer portal, etc.? There will be a wave of doubt that's not existed since 07. So it would open up a whole new Pandora's box there. A couple minutes left in today's show. Of course, we'll talk more college football games tomorrow. We'll probably talk a little bit more about that Bama Ole Miss game. We'll talk about. All these Pac-12 games going on, more Ohio State, Notre Dame, all that good stuff, more Auburn A&M tomorrow. But before he leaves the show for the week, TP, want to get your final thoughts on Auburn and Texas A&M, what you're looking out for, and what ultimately ultimately happens. I'm really interested. This is such a coin flip game. We talked about all all offseason. We said this game is going to be a coin flip, and it still is that way. Even though A&M did lose to Miami, they're still a really good team with a really good offense. I just think that Auburn's defense is better than Miami's defense overall, and I think they're really good. And I think it's going to be close. Absolutely. I think it's going to be, I think you're going to see some busted plays. You're going to see Evan Stewart. You're going to see all those great receivers. But here's my score prediction I have 31 to 28, game winning field goal. 31 28. Okay. Yep. Um, what do you think of. Auburn's offensive line against A&M's front. What 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 will Auburn be able to do and not do offensively? I think Thorne scrambling gave me hope. I think that was a really big deal because I thought he was more of a pocket guy and you know and he still can do that. You know, he can deliver an accurate ball. It's just going to be he's going to have to limit those turnovers. He can't throw into double coverage again like he did against Sanford. Maybe it was just him not respecting Sanford's defense, but you can't do that against Texas A&M. And the other pick was, you know, a 
a tip ball. It was weird. But I think they're going to be able to throw it more. I think I think the offensive line, I think it's going to struggle initially, but I think we could see that heat. We could see that kind of wear down those big defensive linemen. And if you give Thorne more time, we saw it, like I mentioned, uh, Brian Matthews, uh, whenever Miami was able to torch that A&M defense, whenever the offensive line protected, and it would give – I mean, Van Dyke had like – infinite time and he was just able to pick his spots here there and everywhere so I think it's I think they're going to struggle initially but I think as the game goes on you're going to see them more or less start to impose their will Auburn and A&M we're excited for it and uh again this is what this is what we uh we wait all summer for it's un- unbelievable that I will then be promptly off the show uh two days next week uh again and i don't know if i've i've told all you guys that but uh for those that don't know i will not be here monday and tuesday uh as i will be coming back from a bucks game monday night in tampa so obviously hard to do a monday show if you're in tampa than driving back uh over the course of the week so yeah, I will. Uh, I will not be here next Monday or Tuesday, so I'm definitely gonna hate the fact we can't uh, all break it down. Brooks will be taking the the helm there Monday and Tuesday to to break down Auburn A and M game, and hopefully there's a lot of good stuff uh, to talk about. Final moment or two of the show today. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide, presented by White Claw, Hard Seltzer. Brooks, what do we have? What we're saying, folks, is if it goes bad this weekend, hold off your calls to Wednesday because Ryan really wants to hear them. All right, your Nightly TV Guide brought to our friends of White Claw, Hard Seltzer. No movie picks for you tonight. we got a, a, a plethora of sports going on. Uh, starting off at 6 o'clock on ESPNU, we got some Florida high school football as Miami Central takes on Chaminade Madonna. Uh, and then some college football action for you on the, the uh ESPN Networks on ESPN. It's Georgia State and Coastal Carolina. Some fun belt action from Brooks Stadium up there in uh, Conway, South Carolina. Baseball action for you tonight at 6 o'clock on Fox. It's some MLB regional action. The Mets take on the Phillies tonight. Phillies are battling for a wild card spot as well. Uh, continue to battle there. The Braves are also in action tonight as they take on the Washington Nationals. That's at 6.05 on Bally Sports South. East. Some women's college volleyball. Uh, Minnesota takes on Iowa on FS1 at 6 o'clock. Women's national team soccer in action tonight. U.S. women's national team takes on South Africa at 6.30 on TNT. And then Formula One is in Japan this weekend for the Japanese Grand Prix. Their first practice is tonight at 9.25 on ESPN. And that is a look at your night TV guide brought to you by friends of Michael Hart Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks. And uh, thank you for being on the show today. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Sure will. And T.P. Hammock, thank you for being on the show today. Hope you have a great weekend, sir. We'll see you again next week. Thank you, as always. That will do it for the show today. We want to thank Brian Matthews of Auburn Rivals for joining the show this afternoon. And as always, thank all of you who listened in and called in. For Brooks Childress and T.P. Hammock, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Thursday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.